Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gill, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! Yeah! To the Sneaker History Podcast. Hey, what's good, everyone? Uh, welcome back to uh, our uh, sneaker convos, as we're calling it, after uh, a little hiccup uh, yesterday with some other uh, other events that might be taking place at this time. But, north uh, by Northeast. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to go by North North by Sneakers next year. Uh, <laughs> but... Honestly, like I'm stoked to have these guys with me. Um, you know, I if you follow me on social media in any aspect, you know how grateful I am to just get to do the few things that I get to do in regards to sneakers at this point. And um, this this whole conversation series and this event is really about uh, you know kind of giving people some shine that I think don't necessarily get enough attention in this whole world of sneakers because we just live in this weird place where we swipe past almost everything that happens and it's hard to actually get people to sit down and have good conversations about this. And it was really something that I was craving. And I thought that if I could reach out to as many people as I could, we'd get enough conversations going. Uh, the guys that are on tonight with me, honestly, are people that I wish I could go have a, a, you know, a dinner with and, and chop it up about sneakers in person, maybe someday again. But um, I'll, I'll kind of rotate around. So uh, Russ Bankston, uh, you probably know him from Complex Slam, uh, everywhere on the internet in terms of sneakers. <laughs> Alex Retro Kid uh, from Soul Collector, uh, you know, obviously kind of set the tone for a lot of uh, this next generation with the forums and and you know what has become. Gotti is is still uh, cranking out fire content on his social. I think uh, he's probably the only one of us that has a. Uh, a, I don't want to say dedicated photographer, but definitely a great friend <laughs> a great photographer with him at all times. Uh, Brett Golliff, who is, uh, you know, uh, has been a huge, um, I think, contributor to a lot of the things that I've done over the years in the sneaker space. But, you know, I think even beyond that, we've had a lot of great conversations between the world of footwear design and the, and the world of car design, considering his background and passions. And then obviously Ian Stonebrook... <laughs> yeah. Ian Stonebrook uh, has done a ton of stuff that you've already read, probably written for, uh, you know, a place you've already read today if you've read anything about sneakers. So, um, guys, welcome to the show. I I'm, I'm super stoked to talk to all of you, man. I can't stress enough how much respect I have and love I have for each and every one of you. And, uh, you know, I, th I think that if there is a possible, um, I don't want to steal my buddy Mike's uh, saying, but if there was a uh, a Voltron of sorts that we could put together, good people from the sneaker world to start having some some more important conversations, 
I think this would be my starting five. So wow. no pressure. Retro kids the head. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, no pressure at all there, Nick. We appreciate that intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and we're, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure we all feel the same way. I mean, we're here because we feel the same way about you. So, yeah, thanks. you know, thanks. obviously we're not all jumping on camera for, for just anybody or just anything. I appreciate it, guys. So I guess like rather than using my intro, let's let's at least give at least the uh, the, the, the two sentence rundown of, of your sneaker story. Um, I guess that might be that might take a little longer for some of us. But um, let's let's start with Russell. Why don't you start us off? I mean, I'll try and keep it to a couple sentences. I mean, I started at Slam in 95, was editor in chief starting in like 99. Um Worked on the first issue of Kicks, became the first sneaker editor over a complex, and been doing like various freelance things ever since. Done things with brands and retailers and whoever else. So I don't know. That's about it. How about you, Alex? Um, yeah, I've been in the sneaker space for a long time. I've been a sneakerhead for as long as I remember, and I'm fortunate enough to have turned that into a career. So, again, early Nike Talk, day one Nike Talker, admin, uh, co-founded Soul Collector, the magazine and the digital website back in the day. And then I worked at Nike for about 10 years. I was on digital e-commerce, uh, part of the sneakers team as well. And I'm currently at Goat Group. Um, on the marketing team with Goat and Flight Club. And again, it's been fantastic. The sneaker journey, uh, very fortunate and just, can't, you know, we'll keep going as long as I can go. How about you, Gotti? I was about to say, I think I've been in the shoes since roughly third or fourth grade, maybe. So long time shoe guy. Uh, Sort of like Alex, I always look at Nike Talk as my starting point for the online journey with shoes. I think I was uh, joined Nike Talk around 2000, 2001. And, you know, I still probably post something in there every day now. Still pop in the forums over there. Uh, started the smoking section, hip hop blog, I think roughly 2005. Did that for maybe 10 or 11 years. And now I'm doing a lot of freelance stuff still operating around music and sneakers and just glad to be here. All right. How about you, Ian? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know uh, what the screen looks like or where the Brady Bunch is for you, but uh, <laughs> and the man to, I don't know, the man in front of me, he's on my left, uh, Nick Ingball, hit me up in a white pickup truck on my hotel uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, aid in Austin and uh, him and George and Peter and, to Greg, I'm trying to think who else was out there. Uh, took me out to Sixth Street, Sixth Street, and I said, "All right, I guess I could, you know, intern for Nice Kicks for the summer." And uh, yeah, taught me taught me how to ride in a coffee shop. You know, usually about 11 p.m. and it's uh, it's been fun ever since. Wow, that's crazy! I totally forgot about the truck. <laughs> <laughs> that's a story for another conversation. Uh, Brett, what's good, man? Uh, what's what's your background in sneakers? I, I mean, honestly, it's it's very fascinating because it's becoming very surreal to me with like the people that I'm on here with. I mean, Nick, your your background and I is very connected, uh, just from the complex days. Gotti, 
smoking section starting 2008 was like it changed my life in many different ways a lot of good music that i could get a hold of via your links and then uh, you and i connecting but i mean quite frankly like my my life in in sneakers wouldn't exist without without russ and alex like i was sitting here and like i was in seventh grade when i got this and like without this i didn't know that like sneaker design existed and like without that I don't find Nike talk, which would be Alex. And I don't find like Jason Petrie sketches to like show it. So, yo, this is my, this is the actual issue from when I was like, when I bought it in seventh grade. Like, so for me, it's, it's one of these deals where I don't think I have a life in sneakers without quite a few of the people that are on here. Just simply put, it's, it's, it's completely changed my world. And it's, a, I don't know, like it kind of, I didn't realize everybody, I knew I had Russ and, and Gotti on this call, but I didn't realize we were going to have Alex and stuff. So it's, it's just been a different thing because Alex, I don't know if you recall, but I think it was like issue 10, you guys put me in soul collector the, uh, the Chris Lundy issue with mm-hmm. that. And like, you know, that just changed my life forever from that point on. It was just crazy. So this is very surreal for me. Yeah. That's, that's kind of funny. Like, like I said earlier, like talking to you guys is such a, a good thing because we all have like this common language. And, you know, that just hit me like, wow, in order for me to talk to someone about sneakers, they better know who Chris Lundy actually is. That's a good <laughs> if you don't know who Chris yeah. Lundy is, forget it. We're not, we're not, we're, we're not, not talking. Page. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting point. And I think like, so one of the things I want to ask you guys kind of collectively about, you know, I, I don't want to pick on any of the content that goes out because I know we all know how much work goes into even a five, 10 second clip for some of these people. Right. But one of the things that I just like severely miss is print content, right. Or at least the commitment to that level of content. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's great to have you Alex, because one of the things that I think, you know, goat has done is actually brought that back in a way with your guys's magazine Mm -hmm. and it's just fascinating how like yeah (laughs) you know i think like print for for a lot of guys you know our age older close to us right we all have this kind of collective we always aspired to create that right the physical tangible magazine and we got to <laughs> we got to the point where everything turned to digital but now we're almost like in this weird space of like i almost feel like everyone is kind of like looking back at or looking at like okay it's cool that like people can cr- take incredible photography you know photographs it's cool that people can like you know use technology to, to like spin products and, and all, all the bells and whistles are here, right? Like it's amazing to me, but at the same time, we're seeing a lot of, I would say, you know, looking at goat specifically, one of the companies that actually I think is at least trying to embrace sneaker culture throughout this like 30 to 40 year run that we've all kind of collectively been a part of. And it's interesting that like, going back to print is a part of that. And I wonder if like, if that, if that translates, do you guys think that translates to a younger audience? Because sometimes I feel like I'm just the old man that just still wants, I I just still want to see my name printed in a book, in a, in a magazine, 
just because that was something I wanted as a, you know, a teenager. Do you guys think that there's, there's interest from a younger generation in regards to that? Like, what does it work? How's it work for you, Alex? With, with yeah, I think absolutely. I think for me, and again, at Nike, at Soul Collector, at Goat, one of the greatest things is storytelling and community. And I think, yeah, that's when I joined. Um, the greatest magazine was already a little plug for there. The greatest yeah. magazine was already going. And I like the way that it's eclectic. It just shows different sides of sneaker culture and community. Um, because here's one of my props. This is my earliest remembrance of media in sneakers. Oh, boom. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this was, these were my Bibles back in the day. And I still reference these. I, it's, it's nice to have something tangible and physical and something you can look back on and just flip through and, and hold and reference again and again. So to me, I think print will always have a place, especially now with books like Virgil did his book with Nike, the Nike book that just came out. A lot of the, you know, very tangible things will always be remembered. I got to agree. And I think that, uh, I think if it's well done, and I believe her name is Diane. Alex, correct me if I'm wrong. That's the editor over there with Greatest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, they were hitting me with those first few issues, and I was like, yo, I appreciate you guys actually doing thoughtful editorial, like doing high-quality writing, not doing, not just skimming over information, but really doing deep dives on stuff. Like, I, as somebody who grew up with the Sports Illustrated subscription as a kid, like that meant a lot to me that they were writing these really thoughtful articles. And I know even right now, and I talk to Brett about this all the time, I've been going back grabbing all of the old kicks issues. Um, everybody's throwing up their Jordan issue. Russ, I think before I bought these two, let me get this in the screen, the covers issue and then the, the 96 issue. Yeah. I asked you, like, if you contributed or what you knew about those. Like, I'm going back and grabbing those tangible items because, again, there's so much online that it can get overwhelming. Sometimes I just want to sit down, read it, take it all in. Alex, I think you mentioned the word referencing. A lot of times I like to go back and reference, especially some of, and I've got a stack of soul collectors, like y'all wouldn't believe. <laughs> But I like to go back and grab old magazines just to see where we were at at the time. You know what I mean? To kind of like put me like, okay, this is what we were doing in 2002. And this is why we were so excited about that. I mean, my kid came in today and he was talking about he was going to do, they get to do some report. He's in ninth grade. And he was asking me if he should do it on Air Force Ones or Air Max Ones. And I was like, well... Whatever you decide, son, I've got a, I've got a encyclopedia's <laughs> worth of information for you. And I pointed I to a stack of magazines. Yeah, I was like, we're not going to use internet. We're going to use magazines and books. I got you covered. So we're going to cite every one of these. <laughs> no. Yes, sir. We're going to name <laughs> the authors. And I, uh, you know, I don't want to date and sound old, but you know, it's like we have a, a stack of books and a stack of magazines, and I think it can coincide with the digital world of today. I think it can enhance it and it can live alongside digital for sure i think you know nick you started the intro out as like scrolling right and how you get kind of people to connect i, I you know you said stories you said community alex like to me it's that emotional connection of like pulling people in and making sure you grab a hold of them and 
what I feel what I feel we're talking about still exists, but it makes you realize, I don't know what the percentage is, but how small us are in the sense of the entire sneaker world now. Because I, I would argue that like there's been a lot of people that come in or just coming in to have fun, take advantage, whatever verbiage you want to come up with of how you look at a newer generation. But there's still like those people, <laughs> Nick as a car driver is like, there's still those manual drivers. We're the manual drivers, right? Like we're the people yeah. that are like still very much in love with what aspired us and made us learn and want to grow and think differently. Like that's the way I look at it. it, it a lot of what we're talking about, like solidified it as a real thing and not just an immature thing to me. It solidified it as like a process and a real piece to it that was tangible and it was more than just an object so so i mean go ahead russ no i was just gonna say like bouncing on that solidified thing like it also makes it seem like it matters you know i feel like you deal with a lot of stuff on the internet now and like the life cycle of a shoe is so fast um you know like it gets revealed fast it comes out fast it sells out fast and it's gone like the entire life cycle of a shoe is like a month instead of a year, which unfortunately isn't super conducive to, uh, to print, you know, I yeah. mean, you don't have that kind of lead time. It's like, imagine trying to do something on those Supreme dunks that just came out in print by the time oh, you get it and shoot yeah. it, by the time it publishes, they're already sold out and gone. So yeah. it's like, you can still tell that story. The story doesn't go away. But if you're putting it in print as sort of a, a lead in for like, this is what's coming and this is why you should know about it. You just don't have the time to do that anymore. I think everything is just sped up so fast and become, you know, there's just so many releases now. You know, I look back to kicks or whatever, what we were doing 20 years ago. And it's like, there were probably the same amount of shoes released in a quarter than there are now in a weekend. So like, yeah, by the I don't time even know you how hit, you like, decide anymore. By the time you hit like kicks four, right? And like you're previewing fall season and maybe even a little bit of spring. Like how far in advance was it where a company's giving you guys that product to put that in? Oh, I mean, look, we were getting stuff in as far in advance as they would send it. I mean, I had really? fights every day with people, um, you know, and, and like, of course, Nike talk came and messed it up for everybody too, because there were leaks, you know, and like all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we can't do this. I'll I'll just tell this story real quick. Like I remember when the Air Jordan 17 leaked on yeah, Nike Jersey talk. Joe. Yeah. I was in Portland for something. I was on campus and I forget who was doing Jordan PR then. And I don't want to name names anyway, but I basically told him, like, yo, like you're gonna reveal the shoe. I think it was in like a week anyway. So like, yo, just, can you just let me see it? Like, I just want to check it out. And they're being real, like hemming and hawing about it. Like, I don't it's know. It's in a briefcase. You can't we gotta see ask, it. We got to ask Gentry and make sure it's okay. And I'm like, look, it ran online. Like, you know, the shoe already leaked. All I want to do is see it in person. I don't have a phone even at that point. Like, I'm not going to take a photo of it and ruin Slam's relationship. And I think... Long conversation happens, nothing. They don't show it to me. And uh, a little while later, that same day, I'm walking around, heading by the kitchen, and I bump into uh, Avar. And he's like, hey, you want to see the Air Jordan 18? 
He had no idea about, or the 19, it was the, it was the 18 and the 19. It was the 18 and the 19. He had no idea I'd had that previous conversation. They wouldn't show me the 18, which had already leaked online and was going to debut like the following week. He takes me inside and shows me the 19, which was in its super early, like, you know, the upper was close, but it was on a previous soul unit. It was being like no laces. It was just going to be the tech flex. You know, it's like, and that's just the difference, I think, between designers and PR. You know, designers want you to see like, you want to here's see what I, here's what I'm working 30? Yeah. You know, and the PR people are like, well, we're not really going to launch He's that until steal that idea. 10 minutes gonna... from now, so we can't yeah, show exactly. it to you yet. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what that has to do with print, but um, I don't know. I love that story anyway. I don't know. I think you're missing some of the excitement, you know, with the speed of the Internet. Um, like there are a few surprises, like we know everything so far in advance and like we know it's coming. Um, you're sitting there and you're waiting for it for two, three months. You know, you're plotting on trying to how to get it. And then it releases and you don't get it. And then you spend the next month trying to get it. Everything just moves so fast that when you think about that, and I hate to be the old man, but it's like you think about that old pace where you did only have so few releases in a given period. It was just a lot easier to really do deep dives into that stuff like to really embrace it. Now it's kind of like I miss out on Saturday and I just move on. You know, like that's what I oh, loved about yeah. Nike talk was like getting those product codes. Like I could really like as a 16 year old, like I would take that and plan out my year. And I was like, okay, I got to make like $3,000 between now and December and like figure out like how to do it. But like, I could do that now. Like, you know, I, I'm pointing at Gotti in my squares here, but like, like I text them like four weeks in advance, like boy, boy, shots of boy, boy. We've got a wonderful text chain of boy, boy, four of us. And uh, like, I'm like, hey guys, I need help on this. And two of us are 10 and a half. So I'm like, are you going for this or am I going for this? Because we've all got to go in together to like make anything happen. And now we don't have a bot, so we can't do it. But Ian, I was going to ask, go ahead. No, I was just going to say with the, with the short term, Gotti said like, I think I cared about the Supreme Dunk Low for literally four minutes. Yeah. Like, you know, it was like before the drop, I'm like, you know what? Like, I've got a few things on Supreme. Like, I still love the dunks or whatever. I'll give it a shot. And I think I started refreshing at like, you know, 1058 or whatever it was. And nothing came up on the site until like 1102. Right. And then it came up and it was sold out in every size. So I'm like, you know what? I don't care about the shoe anymore. Forget it. Yeah. This is stupid. Yeah, what move, am I doing? I'm moving on. Moving on. And like, I'm sure there's something we'll get to later, but like, I don't even, that was it for me. Like, I don't even try and buy stuff anymore. I deleted, and no offense, Alex, I deleted sneakers a year ago, more than a year ago. I just, I'm just not interested. Well, I mean, here's a, here's a question. If I think it makes a ton of sense, like you can't write about the product that's coming out because once the print comes out, or at least in a print space, it's almost irrelevant. And if you even do have the opportunity, if the brand trusts you, you're probably going to be so in the bed with the brand that it's really their store, not your own. So would it make sense to print to have a space about writing about old stuff? I mean, I know, I know that's, uh, you know, probably like easy fodder for guys like us that grew up on Nike talk, but like, even as a 14 year old, 
as excited as I was about seeing like, you know, when the Air Jordan 20 leaked and it had the, you know, employee number on the side, I was like, oh, he's fucked or, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was still as much like, yo, this guy has like a hundred pairs of flight posits like from four years ago or like flight 89s for, you know, 10 years ago. And it's like, that's really cool. How can I find those? So, I mean, with something like Golden Greatest, you know, where people have an opportunity of backstock, like, do you guys see it maybe shifting more towards like crate digging or if, if nobody can get anything on sneakers right now, it would seem to me everybody would just be like, I'm going go on eBay, like we've all been doing. Sadly, yeah, yeah. helped doing it with the magazines because I thought I was the only one doing that. So I got to get my bars sharper. Than this is your show. competition right now. This yeah, is the reason why I'm bidding with you right now. I'm just telling you now. I'm over there bidding with you. I, yeah. I, I, I know, man. My, my cheap ass is, is always trying to lowball on those. But um, <laughs> so is Gotti. Gotti and I have this conversation a lot. He has a max limit of what he will not spend on a magazine, and it's it's too low. But yeah. some of that stuff's going <laughs> crazy now, right? Like. Yeah, some of the stuff does go. Yeah, yes, high. it is. The prices on some of the stuff is super high. But you can't every get now a case issue for under fifty. Like you can't. It doesn't exist on there. Huh. I've got I got like three for less than fifteen bucks each. But then you run into the issue where the guy, like I've got a couple of holes and I'm trying to fill them, and this guy is sitting on them and he wants like thirty bucks, and I'm like, dude, I'm not spending thirty bucks for the magazine. No way. But, but you're chasing them down because it's like you want to go back to grab some of that old stuff. And I think some of that history, Ian, to speak to your point, I think the trick with it is like we – I'm cool with that approach as long as we're not telling the same stories over and over again. Definitely. Right. Like we have to find ways to explore some other stories besides the Air Jordan 3, the Air Jordan 4, the Air Max 1, etc. Don't forget the 11. And the yeah, like we have to find ways to tell other stories besides just those particular stories. And off the top of my head, I'm kind of blacking out, but I feel like there have been more books recently that yeah. did tell some of those other stories. Um, you know, you had Stan Smith's book in recent years. Yep. Like, give me that story. That's like a brand new story that, yo, I've known Stan Smith's shoes and knew he was a tennis player. But I really never thought the deep dive into who Stan Smith was, you know, as a on the sneaker side of things. Give me that. Uh, you know, we had Shoe Dog, which I didn't read it yet, so I can't really comment on it. But I think it's really cool that Phil Knight decided to come out and tell a book. Brett, what was the book that uh, I picked up a couple of weeks ago? The Jordan book? Oh, yeah, yeah. You picked up and Driven From Within, right? Driven From Within. Like, I've been going back and I was reading that. Like, that was a cool thing because I obviously skipped over it years ago. Yeah. Little stuff like that, going back and grabbing some of those little bits and pieces of history. Like, give me those stories, and I think people will buy into it a little bit. But I think, like, you're you're hitting, like, what made me fall in love. Like, I didn't mean to fall into media space. Like, I saw growing up, like, as, as, as a kid, like, I had two loves. I had, well, I had three. I had footwear, I had hip-hop, and I had cars. And, like, there was the car side that had – phenomenal writing on it and i never understood why shoes didn't have it because like the story that i was hearing of shoes right like the first one that i remember pulling me in was the the back of the sports illustrated for kids in, in 95 of the 11 
right? And it's the cartoon and there's like little illustrations coming around it, but they're pointing out the features of the shoe, gum rubber, it does this and patent leather, it'll hold you for this, right? It made me realize, I was like, oh, this is more than just something that looks cool. And my God, what you're, you're hitting to me and, and Ian, you're hitting it as well. And, and what the other two have done forever is like, tell that process. Like you get to see inside why it existed. It doesn't have to be about design, right? But it has to be about the reason it exists and the reason why it was created and why it's more than just a commodity. Like that's that's the what always drove me. And honestly, that's also what drove me to kind of stop doing the media side because like it was, um, yeah, I guess Russ and Nick, like our time of doing the, the complex stuff was, uh, it was beautiful to me because it opened my eyes like as a designer to a whole new side of like how the consumer interprets something like especially the times when i would do just like drawing posts but then i also realized Gosh. how many people did not care like do, did not care why the product existed and i had to like separate myself like i know that i'm like a niche within a niche but like it's it's one of those deals where it's like i saw that shifting to where it's like you you don't you don't grasp what it is and what so many other people are trying to do with it and that always kind of it, it struggled for me and then it got to a point where it's very much what guy said like i felt like i was writing the same thing over and over again and I, I don't know i just lost interest in it at some point i shouldn't say i lost interest i just wanted to become more curated with the ones that i did not have to do something every week i think it's yeah. tough now because retro has become so dominant you know, it's like you look back to some of those kicks issues and certainly like the slam issues and the kicks section. And we would do like and whatever. We were a basketball magazine. So it made sense. You know, it's like you do like three pages of on court stuff and then like a page of off court. And now I think it would be reversed. Right. You know, like I can't imagine filling that much space with current shoes because it's like you have the signature stuff, but um you know, there's only like, so many of those. And then there's so much off court that people are into at this point. Like retro is just eating everything. But what's um, weird to me about that, Russ, is that like, like, God, I hit this the other day when we were talking about it, where it's like, what would bother me about the court stuff today is that like, they all even look the same. Like they don't really have that significant of a difference between most of them. They're all no, kind of, no. you know what I mean? Whereas well, back then there was dramatic differences. Right, but I think car, I think it works the same way as cars to a degree, yeah, right? Because right. I think yeah. at some point you figure out, like, if, especially if you're building a hyper car, like, there's a certain, um, what do you call it, wind tunnel rating. I don't even know what that's called, but you're right. You know, there's a certain aerodynamic Downdraft. shape that works best, so you're going to use that. And I yeah. think with sneakers, like, you're right with especially with encore stuff, the personality gets leached out in favor of like, well. This is how we make it lighter. This is how we make it better cushion. This yeah. is how we make it more, uh, you know, uh, stiff oh, through the midsole right. or whatever. Like to me, like things haven't changed very much at all since the Air Jordan 11, as no. far as like the, the most basic stuff, you know, it already had like a tensile air. It had the carbon shank. It had the clear rubber outsole. It had the synthetic upper. Everything since then has almost been like a, a version of that. It's just gotten closer to the foot. I feel like uh, I feel like that's an interesting point where it's um, 
I, I joke with a, a, a friend that's like starting a, a shoe company right now where I'm like, hey, man, greatest basketball players of all time basically won it in leather and suede and didn't always have herringbone. And like you, you don't have to rethink everything to, to, to just go and recreate. You just got to make it fit better. Like I, it's it's fascinating. It's a good point, though. Russ. I, don't know, I always remember back when Adidas did the crazy light and I'm like, you guys are screwed because. Yeah, OK, so know, the next shoe has to be even lighter. And then. Yeah. Where do you go from there? Like once you determine that this ultra lightweight thing is the only way to go, like you've painted yourself into a corner. Like you, you can't, I didn't even think about at that, some yeah. point you can't go lighter without yeah. hurting people. I'm pretty sure we talked about that. Like that was probably while we were both at complex or, or very mm -hmm. close to it, because I'm pretty sure we, we had that exact conversation, you know, when it came out, like it was the almost the first thought, right? It was like, Whoa, this is crazy light how are you ever going to beat this? Right. Because one of the things that I think is really fascinating and about like sneakers and how the stories are told is that we, we don't ever go back. So we're all sitting here, uh, you know, arguably because we had a, a passion for shoes that came out when we were kids and eventually chased that into adulthood in some sort. Right. Most of us have collected various things beyond sneakers to kind of capture those moments again. But what's fascinating about the way that it has become, aside from, you know, maybe like the stuff that, you know, Alex and, and the team are doing with Greatest, is like the stories being told by the brand don't ever have to be accountable to the last generation of that story, right? It's a new story every time. There's no progressive story because you, yes, there could be a the Crazy Light 2 and a Crazy Light 3 and a, you know, Jordan 35 and all of these things, but like, Every time I look at like a new Jordan, I'm, I'm still excited to see it. I want it. I want to be a part of it. And I want to share my thoughts with you guys and everybody else. It's like I, I get excited about it. But at the same time, I'm almost like, didn't we just do this? Like, didn't did we not did we not address this or talk about this a year or two years ago? And it's it's kind of weird because we don't actually have, you know, I don't I don't expect like you know, the brands to be like, Hey, we had this at, you know, 13.2 ounces. We went to 13.5. We went back to 13. Like, I don't necessarily care about those things, but I feel like part of what got me really into this world of sneakers as a kid was the progress that I saw every yes. time a new model came out, whether that was an, an Air Max or, you know, like, I mean, my brother and I used to just draw Andre Agassi and his shoes repeatedly. It was just like, like, how do we do this? Right. How do we, you know, and I think there was always like a little bit of a, Oh, this technology. Right. And, and maybe, maybe you're right, right on with it, Russ. And maybe it did kind of end at the Jordan 11 in like the, the late nineties where we hit the point of like, Hey, this is a great shoe and the greatest of all time did his thing in it. Do we need to, to go further, but also like thinking about the way stories are presented now, it's almost like the, the, the longevity of the stories has also been cut off because of the cycle and the repeat rinse and repeat aspect of oh, new stuff coming. Don't, don't worry about what we just said. Let's move on to the next thing. And, and that's not a shot at any brands. Like every brand plays in this same space, right? It's kind of to the point of even thinking about print magazines where the, the, you know, like the way that we were talking about, right, where, you know, the lead into that is erased because it shows up on the Internet. And even if it's not 
an actual photo that shows up on the internet. Now it's a sketch, it's a rendering, it's some form of like, this is what it's supposed to look like. There's also no accountability back to any of these, you know, sites or, or you know, blogs or anything, Instagram accounts that say, hey, we, we made a mistake. Like this shattered backboard colorway looks absolutely different than the sketch that we told you it was going to look like nine months ago or 12 <laughs> months ago, right? And Irons and I nailed like, that. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, to some extent, look, it's probably just somebody that's super passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people in this space, but I don't know everyone. And I hope that it's somebody that's, you know, kind of just being, uh, you know, excited that, hey, they got this information, they want to present this to, to people that are following, looking to them for that information, right? But one of the things that I think saying all that to say, like, the connectivity of the stories and the people behind them has always been the thing that I've been passionate about. And I relate this even more so to music. When I was buying cassette tapes as a kid, buying CDs as a teenager, I, I absolutely dug through the pamphlets that came with the music. And I, I tweeted yeah. something a few days ago. And somebody kind of was like, what is that? And I just thought, damn, like that, the question was like, what's missing from music or what do you miss from music now? And that's what I said. Like I miss digging through because I went and bought like, you know, you guys know, like I, I, I went and bought like literally like, you know, Andre Nicotina Dre Dogs album because I found him in another <laughs> liner, like <laughs> as like a, a writer, a contributor to one of the tracks. And it was like, that was my introduction to, other people in hip hop and the same thing with like battle cat like when battle cat was producing for everybody i literally went and bought i i have i sadly i have stacks of old cds in the garage in, in you know cartons of like cds that i probably only bought because i saw that battle cat produced a track on it and that was my way of feeling absolutely super involved without ever actually being connected to the music and when I you think if, about when you think about that in terms of music and I, and I kind of explained this to people I'm like when you took away sampling like that hurt as far as like music music education goes because yeah. I learned about so many other genres through sampling you yeah. know whether it was sampling somebody sampled jazz or somebody sampled some reggae sample rock like I learned about so many other genres through sampling and then you fast forward and you take away the CD booklet, like the liner notes is like, I don't really have a way to go figure out, you know what I mean? Like, okay, you sampled this from Miles Davis. Let me go dig into Miles Davis. It's like, you've kind of wiped everything clean. But what's fascinating. You know, I think, I think we still have something going on. I'm, as you were talking about this, there's still a lot going on when you look at like the running categories. Yeah, but that's like it's just not it's just that. not cool. Like we're not necessarily yeah. wearing them as casual wear, but there's a lot of good technology coming through there and like each company is trying little things and they're and building up what they did previously. Man. Yeah, I mean it is what it is. Man. But it's like at least there's some there's a lineage going on there that and of course they're they're speeding up the pace, but it's like there's storytelling going on there there's some building going on there but it's just not what everybody's into what's really like, funny everybody's into retro i i think running shoes in particular it helps that there are so many brands in that space and that like you know you have a lot of running specific brands whether it's brooks or Sacconi, who like 
you know, are doing their own interesting things. And then, I mean, I think Hoka coming in was such a huge deal. Like they were just a brand kind of out of nowhere that really disrupted the whole thing where it's like, you know, I feel like there was a period when running was kind of in that same rut basketball was right. It, everything was going minimal. Yeah, yeah. And like, I remember buying multiple pairs of uh, Brooks did a shoe called the green ghost. I don't know if yeah, you guys yeah. remember that. Uh -huh. um, it was like a super lightweight, like simple running shoe. And I'm like, I was sort of running a little bit at the time. Um, I was like, Oh man, I'm just going to run in these all the time. But yeah, everything was kind of running that crazy light direction. Like yeah. everything's got to be lighter and more minimalist. And then Hoka came in with these shoes that have midsoles that are this tall. And it was just like, Whoa, wait a minute, like whole new direction. And now like every company is doing that too. You know? And I think that's where Nike got into some of that zoom X and like, you know, the big carbon platform shoes. And now everyone's doing a maximalist runner. So maybe it'll take that, you know, maybe that's what it'll take in basketball to kind of blow things out of the rut a little bit is like, you need that competition. Like you definitely have to have. And I mentioned yeah. somebody, somebody in the comments mentioned the Chinese brands. Yep. And yeah. I'm like, you have to have that competition. And Lee Ning has done some wild stuff. You exactly. Know? And I, I always I'm say that like Nike, Nike is always going to be Nike, but they're at their best when somebody's pushing them. So it's like, like you need those smaller, you need these other brands to come in to challenge Nike and introduce some of these new ideas to help the, everything move forward. And I think at the same time, they got, you know, Nike and Jordan, they both need to realize, like, and I think Jordan does to a degree, you know, if you look at Westbrook stuff, although now his shoe is basically just like a, uh, it's like a pixelated version of Kyrie's shoe. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Like, it looks like a modern art interpretation of the Kyrie. Um, it's being different to be you know, different. But, there's, but no I, there's just so much room for them to do different things. Like, yo, LeBron James, like, he does not need the lightest possible shoe made for him. I don't think, you know, it's like he could go out there and throw up triple doubles in Timberlands. Like you have more room to do things that are interesting, you know? Well, and I think rather than, I, I don't know, again, like going into the wind tunnel and figuring out like the optimal thing, they should realize they have a little bit more room to play. I mean, th th there's so much personality in this too. I think the thing that I took, all right, so the Chinese brands, I've consulted for Li Ning, I've consulted for uh, Peak, I've consulted for Anta. Like, Anta, I did about three years with them. And, like, it's very fascinating to watch their philosophy. And my then boy my just hit y'all with a flex. <laughs> well, like, and then you, you hit, like, right the now. other footwear companies, <laughs> like Nike Media Partners and stuff like that, doing that, but doing consulting for every other one of them at, at some point in my life. And everybody always looks at Nike. Like, my challenge of the footwear industry is, like, if you're not Nike, there's, like, this weird angst inside you that you're not Nike. And you sat there and it was like, oh, wouldn't this look great with a swoosh on it? And like, yeah, it might, but stop like keeping yourself from doing it. The Chinese brands are interesting because they're playing in a market over in Asia where they can probably argue and say, I don't need America. Like I'm making my money over there. And none of them want to really come in and deal with the supply chain of the Foot Lockers is what I've taken from it. It's very tough to get into, you know, Foot Locker runs the industry, right? They own like every retail partner. So that stuff gets tough for them. But as I look at like Nike and Jordan, look, all of us are, are veterans in this stuff, right? 
come on, back in like 2002, 2003 on Nike Talk Threads and other various things, we're all saying, man, how are they? How long are they going to keep doing this retro thing? And they're going to live off of it. Eventually, it's going to die. I can remember talking with Nick DePaulo like during uh, when I was in college and him and I having an hour and a half long conversation of how many times are we going to do another 11 colorway? It's 2021 now, and I can guarantee you in November there's going to be another 11 colorway that uh, that's going to get Nike a million units. Like it's become their, hey, it's an easy cash and check. I think the stuff that I worry about as I look at what Nike once was and and where it's at now, or just where it's changing, is that like the original people are retiring. Like the original people are are going away like talking with tinker and stuff like that and hearing him say it like those stories it's shifting you're watching that generation kind of move out so priorities change with that and that i guess that's a part of life but what i worry is, is like i feel like an algorithm is running this stuff anymore it's like you know you talked about deleting the sneakers app for us it's like in some way i can't blame them as a business where you take all that data and it's hard to argue with you that right now why would i not just pump out dunks left and right right it's like it's it's gonna make my bottom line it's gonna be easy money but then on the other side it's like you're not building for what that future is you're not building for what's going to keep you sustainable and pull other people in not not sustainable in the sense of like a value of a company, but just sustainable, a good product, like of, of what really pulls people in. But like, that's what, I, you know, I just think Nike's putting retro on, you know, repeat yes. where it's like, you're not, that's the thing. Like you worry and like the people who aren't going to be looking, I mean, some people will, but they're not going to be looking for a Kyrie two retro. They're just going to be no. looking for more air force ones and more, dunks and more you know, pick 10, pick 10 shoes you know, yeah. from that 90s era. And of course, Nike's going to keep pushing that 90s era because that's when they ruled everything. But for me, I mean, if you want to talk about current basketball, like, and how ripe it is to be disrupted, like, no one should be scared of Nike in, in that category. And right. I would just point at Under Armour. Under Armour made garbage sneakers for a while. Their first line of running stuff was terrible. It all ended up at Marshalls for like 25 bucks. <laughs> when they got into basketball, they did shoes for uh, Brandon Jennings that they didn't even put on the market. They just made them for him. Yet they go and sign Steph Curry for $4 million a year. They put out a shoe for him. And within a year he's like the dominant guy in the basketball space. You sign the right guy and you literally put virtually any shoe on him with his name on it. You can capitalize and dominate like in the basketball arena. Like there's a hundred percent space. And I don't even know, you know, a year from now, who who's going to be that guy in basketball? You know, do you is, feel is it, do, the do problem that, is that the basketball market doesn't matter anymore. Not right. like so you feel that they're trying to recreate. Like everybody wants to recreate Jordan, right? In some way, shape, or form, you're you're trying to redo that that past history. You try to do it with LeBron, and and you see where that's shifted. Kobe was interesting to me because like his dedication to like product and what performed for him was a it was original. It doesn't really exist anymore. Um, it was like Alpha Project, right? It was like continuing that. Kobe's the hypercar shoe to me. Kobe is yeah, like the totally ultimate agree. refinement in performance. But the problem yeah. is that those shoes don't 
carry the same weight off the court that they used to. No, you know, Jordan and Tinker's heyday, particularly, like you knew that shoe was going to be the best shoe on the basketball court, at least perception-wise. And the most popular kid was going to wear it. Exactly. And it was going to be the dominant shoe of every high school in probably every city except Detroit, where they would probably rather kill themselves than wear Jordans. But, you know, you could dominate all those spaces with one shoe. And now the the actual Air Jordan doesn't even do that anymore. The Air Jordan 1 does. That's selling to kids who weren't even born when that shoe came out. Chuck Taylor. Like, right. And even more so. I said like, for years, like the Jordan 1 becoming our <laughs> modern Chuck Taylor. I mean, the Shit, Chuck Taylor Jordan the Chuck Taylor are on the resale market was. now. Yeah. yeah. Well, so... so you guys talked about Under Armour, and, and I'm going to bring this up because Brett mentioned, like, the approach. I talked to, uh, you know, a couple of guys that, that spent time at Under Armour earlier today uh, doing some, like, really interesting just speed hack guys, right? I don't know if you guys know oh, Kevin, Kevin and, Dave. And, and Dave, right? Obviously, sure. they've gone through the corporate world for – I think they both have been in the, the business for 20-plus years. And now they're kind of in this interesting space where they can just, like, mess around and, and really get creative with things – and one of the things that I always just naturally disliked about Under Armour is their logo. It just never oh, their felt logo was terrible. right. And I think that's also like, you know, not specifically those guys, you know, but I think every brand always turns to Nike to look because they are the leader in all of these various ways. Right. Whether that's, you know, a, a something that's been sold to us on the marketing side or just like incredible, you know, work from Wyden and Kennedy or whatever that is, the, the, the aspirational brand probably since 96 has been Nike and Jordan. Right. And I think that I would say 88, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the reason why I don't go that far back is because thinking about what Reebok did and the point yeah. that was made earlier about the competition, right. Shaq. I think mm-hmm. that there was, yeah, there was Shaq, the carbon fiber, there was, you know, the, the pump fury, some of the stuff that Steven Smith did in that era that might That's not true. have changed the trajectory of what Nike was doing. But you know that Nike was having to look inside and say, we we got to do better right now, because like if we let up now, there's opportunity for Reebok to step into this and take some of this away from us. I agree with and that. I don't right. think there's really right. been yeah. a brand that's been at that point since then with you know, exceptions of huge successes here and there. I would say like Hoka in one in one sense. You know, there's been a lot of smaller brands that have jumped into the lifestyle side and taken a piece of that market share from them, I think. But in general, you know, we kind of always get, you know, default back to, you know, the Jordan retros and the Nike retros. But like kind of to to circle back to what Alex mentioned about like the community aspect. And just to play devil's advocate, one of the things that I actually really appreciate about the sneakers app is the way that Nike is actually kind of embracing the community in a way that they never did before. Right. Like if if any of us were told that Nike was going to feature us in their premiere online, whatever they're doing 20 years ago, we would have been like, what? No, that's not going to happen. Right. And it's small, but it's an interesting piece to the puzzle now. And I think it's something that that can be expanded on basically the way that like, you know, Alex and, and the Soul Collector days did where like Brett's <laughs> featured in there without this, you know, crazy past history of all this work that he's done. But more just because like 
He's passionate about it, and I wanted to talk to him, so he's going to be a part of this conversation. So do you guys think that there's space for that now, that we've moved into this super speed cycle? Yeah, I think absolutely, and that's where you know, I like Greatest, and also a Soul Collector, that's why we featured Brett and a lot of like younger shopkeepers or a lot of younger collectors, because to me, and while we're all here is because we nerd out on yeah. sneakers. Like we, I mean, we're, we're talking basically an hour about sneakers and now with sneakers being so prevalent in, you know, mainstream media, mainstream, you know, social media, especially, I still have faith that there's those little nerdy guys that are like, Hey, like I want, I want to learn about this shoe. I want to learn about the tech. Um, I am a little tired of a lot of the dunk retros and the the retro programming that Nike is being put out right now. Like Russ said, there is a reason why the dunk is a classic. Like it's, it takes color very well. It's oh, yeah. a pretty comfortable shoe. It's good shape. And, I mean, it, it is a classic Herbal. to me, the dunk yep. and the Jordan one and the air force one. Um, I mean, there, there are other, silhouettes that I think they should be bringing back, but I'm very interested in seeing like different sides of the community and different collectors emerging. And, 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 and there are those people. Uh, I actually chatted with a guy here in Portland, um, Tanner at culture. I don't know if you guys talked to him. He's like a young 20 year old dude. And he knows more about vintage ACG then oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tanner culture. Like I've that's a great Instagram follow. Like yeah. the, the passion that he has for a specific thing, and also Prestology. I don't know if you talked to Leon. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And his his obsession with the Presto. Like yeah. there, there's. I'm glad. And again, like Brett, like the Mayfly. We should start our Mayfly group. Right. Yes. There you go. So yeah. There's, you know, it just takes you know, some of the younger, newer generation of kids, sneakerheads, to nerd out and latch onto that and again write about it and and be the next wave of you know media. I, I mean one, I have a one hot thing take about, question. Go ahead, Russ. I think that's gonna happen because you know uh like when you talk about like young people like nerding out on one niche thing, that can seem redundant but it can end up being disruptive because like to music's point, when like Young Thug came out and everybody was like, what the fuck is this? Like he's screeching, he's squealing. And you know, it took people time to pick up and he was like, oh, I only listen to Lil Wayne. Like literally just Wayne. And I think there are going to be kids that are like, yo, I'm just in the Kyries or I'm only into this. And they'll take it a different direction or champion it because of it. It's funny. I, I was going to say, when you like, talk about it, Yeezy is probably going to be that thing. Yeah, Rock depending on how far that is. how far that line lasts. And I, I I agree with you, Brett. And I, I think that for what the Jordan line was for us, I feel like the Yeezy line is for a lot of these kids. Or like you that's what it's going to be. Man. Yeah, I was about to say. I got a feeling it's going to be that for them. I even asked my son the other week. We were talking about it, and I was like, "Yo." You know, we buy all these other shoes. How come you never asked for Yeezys? He was like, oh, I already know they cost too much. 
And it kind of let me know, like, yo, that was like when I was getting solo flights or whatever that were really cool back in the day, but didn't get Jordans because I knew better than to ask my parents to get Jordans. But then when I got old enough where I could buy my own Jordans, I went and got my own Jordans. So probably when he gets to the point where he can buy his own Yeezys, he's probably going to be wanting to buy his own Yeezys. I I wanted to swerve back to the community thing for a second. And, you know, the one thing... Like, I have such a love-hate relationship with sneakers on social media. Like, there are people, I don't think there's anybody in this chat right now, but there are certain people who I'm good friends with who I keep thinking I'm going to mute their account because I don't want to see them posting any more new shit. Like, and I don't mean, if you're watching, I do not mean you, Clark, because that's you and I accept that. Um, but one of the one of the positives, I think, that comes out of sneakers on social media and one of the big negatives about sneakers in media has been that sneaker media has always been, basically since the beginning, essentially financed by the sneaker yeah. industry. And the room to be actually critical about it is like, it's, it's so narrow. Like there's no chance. Like if you're, if you're writing for a publication that's primarily funded by advertising from Nike or Adidas or whoever, like you're not going to pan the new Air Jordan in there, even though maybe that's how you feel about it. So I feel like a lot of sneaker media has always been like a little, including stuff publications I wrote for, I mean, and edited, like you always had to be kind of careful about that. Like, I definitely remember writing something for complex that got taken down, you know? And it was just like, all right, fine. Like I, I think like when I was there, I think I had been in the business long enough that I knew enough people at companies that they would understand where I was coming from. But as long as that financial connection is there, you're not going to have the freedom you need. So social media has been good in that sense. Like, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, especially when I write about sneakers on there, I'm being like super critical all the time. But part of that is from not having the freedom to be that critical for the first well, look at you. 20 I wrote about shoes. You're free now. Ugh. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's actually a, little a really great point because the, like I actually talked with Reham Habib, who you guys probably all know or know of, right? Has a pretty tremendous career in the footwear business and and recently moved into other things. But one of the things that we actually talked about was exactly that, right? I personally wish that there was more, uh, I don't know that accountability is the right word from, you know, what I would consider media or social media, whatever, but at least honest conversations, the the conversations that, that are difficult to have, because a lot of what I think, could actually shape the direction of what footwear is as a whole only happens when you have, look, I I don't want to like brag about like the group of us and what we've done, but there are dozens of other people that have been doing these similar things as us that are equally knowledgeable and have a, a valid opinion about the state of things and about the way that those things could go. Right. But yet to the point about like media and being funded by the brands, it's interesting because I think in the in and this is just my assumption and Alex, you can jump in. But like in the early days of Soul Collector, I think we all kind of. As consumers looked at it as like, this is cool because they're talking about the things that we would talk about if we hung out in person. Right. And you got to see people from 
like I would have never known Brett from Detroit otherwise, right? Like that was my way of thinking like, dude, if I ever go across the country, I'm going to know somebody that's actually into the same shit that I'm into. But I think too, Soul Collector evolved from, you know, very, very community driven into a, a, you know, a product of what sneakers was becoming kind of like the way you talk about with, with the relationships with Slam and having to not tiptoe, but just be knowledgeable about your relationships. And I think that like we, at some point we had like, PR become a part of this equation that it, it, it became kind of the gatekeeper for the youngest, most inexperienced in the space of like no when to hold your tongue and no when to speak your mind and no when to be brutally honest and no when to be politely honest. And but how do we get back to that? Or how do we have that now in the current state of what things are? Well, and also think- that, go, that, that even goes back to talking to designers and talking to PR people. You know, I would yeah. be more brutally honest to a designer Yo, than I would night, be to a PR Toronto. person. Yeah. I just want to chime because, like, the chat is going off over here. Sneakers Toronto is checking out. <laughs> good night, Sneakers Toronto. I appreciate you moderating over there. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. Appreciate you, Sneakers Wait, Toronto. <laughs> I, well, seated influencers ruining it. Well, I got a, a few things to touch on all of that that I feel like connects it. I'll save the biggest one for the last, but, like, Nick, I think you and I talked about this a long time ago, like maybe 13 or 14, where it was like, I feel like you had a lot of people that had a passion project that somehow overnight became a business and they didn't have a business plan. So it went from like this scenario of, yeah, I'm talking about sneakers and I'm getting this audience and then Soul Collector sells to Complex and everything changes, right? But then on the other side, like, do you guys ever feel like any of this problem that we're having is like our fault? Like, do you think? Like, is oh, it's 100% our fault. Yes. I feel, yeah. I feel <laughs> super guilty for like half the things I've done, which is a whole separate issue. Sorry, I'm just. I mean, I, 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 I want to just go on me. record and say like as, as guilty as any. <laughs> <laughs> on the Supreme Post-it. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> no, it just happens to be on the desk. As guilty as, as you or any no, of you guys you. feel, I'm also you. thankful that you went down this path because it created opportunities for me to be a part of it, you know, and, and I think we all collectively recognize that when when we're not in the frustrated state of the way things are and can be, right? I mean, um, look, my I, sometimes I feel like I feel like Mickey Mouse and the Sorcerer's Apprentice, right? Like we cre- helped create this and we brought it to life and like the Sorcerer never came home. Like the shit's still going. The buckets are still getting emptied. Like for me, like these are my 94 ones that I bought yes. when they first came out. I paid retail, haha, instead of $20. It's Wore them like until you know, the soles are starting to fall apart. And like I re-knotted the one lace because I couldn't find another pair of like 72 inch red laces. And, uh, you know, that sort of kicked off the, oh man, like, that got me out of the two new pairs a year and into like what it turned into. And, you know, sometimes I look back and I'm like, damn, like there's only been like one or two pairs since that made me feel the same way I did when I got those. It's like, it's not even about, sorry, Dex, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) They're only original once. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alex. uh, I'm saying like for, what we, what I tried to do early on is, I think for me, 
information and factual information was the most important thing to me. So again, look, going back to this, like it, it, this, if you ever, if you have, you have this book, it's mostly about like the skew information, the color information so that it can live on in longevity. So, you know, you can look back and look at all these cool triax colors and that's kind of what I wanted to do with soul collector is just to have a, an American version of this and talk about actual information and factual stuff and things around the community. Um, and, you know, I mean, there was uh, Kixology, shout out to Ernest back in the day. Oh my you gosh. Know, aware testers crew, photos and mean, like they, you know, they're doing a huge service to, to hoop fans everywhere reviewing stuff. I mean, I, that's not my space. I can't even imagine reviewing shoes in that way. I'm more about like the storytelling and the community and actual like the prod nerding out on the product basically. Well, I mean, I think like in terms of, at least for me, as somebody who grew up on, you know, Nike Talk and Slam and Soul Collector, like, I mean, I definitely said, don't be hard on yourselves because one, I'm glad I get to do it. And I'm sure as a lot of other people are, but as far as the needle in terms of like appeasing the brands, you know, the Soul Collector with the Mellow 1.5 on the cover, it got a B plus like in the review, like it wasn't like, yeah, yeah. this is the best shoe ever, you know? Um, and I was curious if um, Russ just referenced Fantasia when uh, <laughs> when, uh, when when talking about the sorcerer thing, and also uh, makes uh, Kenny Rogers flow on uh, how to deal with. <laughs> well, so one of the things I, I don't know if we talked about it recently, Alex, but I know it, at some point we talked about um, like almost like an archivist mindset towards this stuff, right? To me, that's that's also one of the things that I think, like, at some point or another, we've all collectively shared that, right? Whether that's the magazine talk at the beginning of this conversation, you know, I, I mean, just chasing down all of these elusive r random things that were like, hey, I want to I want to be sure that this gets put into to, to the archive, into the memory banks, so that it doesn't get forgotten, right? To, to Russ's point before we started recording, you know, Russ casually hopped on with a, a original Air Jordan 14 sample sitting behind him, um, which he, he claims was there from a previous thing. But I, I, I want to, you know, deep down, I want to think he pulled it out just for us. But I, I think that's an, I can pull out just for you. <laughs> I just think that's an interesting piece to this, right? That almost to the point of, of Tanner, you know, with the ACG stuff, it's really fascinating the way certain people approach, whether that's Instagram or whatever, and the way that they actually dive into it and get nerdy about it right because that's that's it for me right like i want to go so far beyond that i want to know like at what point did russ's lace break and why then and what they're like was it because you were late for work was it because somebody stepped on your shoe in the train like there's all these interesting things that i think we don't go to for the record i don't remember a lot of this stuff. but like <laughs> Do you, I, I think there's a few things that like makes me think of that, like Gary, like we're, we're missing like that deeply. And you know, like, he was on my mind when we were talking about yeah, the man. writing and going deep diving. Yeah. I read yeah. Gary stuff. No lie. I read it every week. He do it yeah. deeper than anyone. And, like, he wrote I sit around. and some I sit of it around. was for like size, you know, he was writing it for a UK retailer. Right. right. I go yeah. back and I go back and read that stuff. And some of the articles I've read them, you know, 
up, upwards of 10 times. Yeah. Like I'll just sit there and go back and read them. And it's like, every time I come back to it, I come back to it with a new awareness. Yeah. So I'm like, damn, the, he referenced something that I didn't get or understand. Even somebody who grew up with it, I didn't get it or understand it the first time I read it. And I come back and I revisit it a year later or six months later. Sometimes it was like, oh, shit, that's what he was talking about. But he used to do. And I used to always encourage you because I was like, dude, nobody else is reading this. But please keep writing. Just please keep well, writing. So that's please what I was keep say. writing. Was he writing for him? I didn't know, Gary. I only knew from from any, was he just writing for himself? Like do you? No. Is, is, no, it was a mix of things. I mean, he yeah. had his we, blog, we've all right? collectively read his stuff a lot of yeah. places. We've been. He was writing for retailers. He was writing for uh, brands. brands. Yeah. He was writing for us when we could convince him. No, 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 no. To. that's not. What I, I, meant was, by I was question. just telling to do the blog, like his, his blog. blog yes. Yeah, that yeah. specifically that blog. I was like, dude, just know that somebody is reading. Yep. Like no, just like, him. But I think I need you. But I think he would have written it if no one was reading it. Yeah, he would have. He was. He was was using curiosity to find that answer. And also, I think like it's funny, like what Gotti said, like you know, you could you found yourself like living something, and he would bring up something you didn't even know. And I think part of that was the fact that he's looking at American culture from London. So he had this, you know, sort of overarching view of something that when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see the whole picture. Like he was so good at just seeing the whole picture. Well, I mean, I got it. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right on his aerial view of like, this is what it actually was like then. This is the pulse. This is how people really thought about it. These are the different cultural intersects, but I got to think like the 20 year old ACG I carvist on IG has to have read something Gary wrote about the Baltoro to like, even yeah. you know, what I mean? like it's still, it's, it's still there. It's still trickling down. But there is a few people on IG, like like I was just looking it up, Sam Utaro and like uh, Heart Copy. Like those guys have evolved how to take IG and get that content across. I mean, there, there is an element that's missing or not missing, but but they're hitting it. There's just more yeah. random, though, you know. But like Nick from Classic Kicks, like he'll still yeah. put stuff up every once in a while and then get yep. discouraged by it, which, you know, whatever. We've commiserated on things. Um, I, I, I I encourage him as well. I've always so. But, like, but, but it's funny, and like, and and I think this ties into the whole thing. Like to me, you know, I go back to looking at Flight Club and the way it started on Green Street, and when you know they would sell vintage stuff below retail. I remember when they got in like a whole stock of Spiridons. You know, like this was like in the early two thousands, and they uncovered like all these Spiridons and were selling them for like retail, and. You know, for a while, that's what Flight Club was. Like, Flight Club was sort of a place where people like us, who maybe had too many pairs of older stuff, could bring it and, you know, sell it to other people like us. It was just whatever. It was a store for nerds. First round, too. And now, like, you still have that. But that, the size of that part of the culture, I think, hasn't really grown that much. But the part that has grown literally exponentially is this like super short term thing. You know, I talked about it on here last night, like the idea of like the Supreme Dunk drops at 11 at 1115. I'm getting an email from StockX being like, this is available, you know, so like there's this enormous leading edge where I feel like literally like 
I don't even want to call it culture anymore because that part of it I don't think is. But that part of the sneaker industry is just living on that edge of like, this releases, this is being resold the same week for a thousand times what people paid. You know, so it's like, I look at stuff, I haven't, and Brett, you showed off something you bought on eBay with that tag on it. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I haven't bought sneakers yeah, on eBay in so long. You know what I, I use know, eBay for? I use eBay for stuff like this in the yeah. early 2000s. This is a pair of Dominique Wilkins game-worn Brooks that are like... Yeah, but I still use eBay and... for that. And you know what? And that's what yeah. frustrates me. Like, they do the authentication now. I'm like, dude, yeah. nobody is bootlegging these fucking trainers. No. You cut out, get out of the way and just let me get my shoe quick. I but don't that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not interested trainer. in anything recent at all. I don't even want... I wanted like, a pair of closets that I can wear. So I had to seek these damn things out. And then they put this tab on it. I can't even get like a fresh sharp or a fresh X-Acto blade to cut through this thing. So I got to figure out how to get this off without hurting the tab. Cutters. Like, yeah, well, and on top the of that. Like, bolt cutters, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. oh, I didn't course, even yeah. know that I bought that service. Like it added an extra 10 days in the thing coming. And it's like, it's to what Gotti said. It's like, I know what this is. Stop. Like, it's funny. Put that so, on someone, a pair of the new off whites because you know there's knockoffs everywhere on that stuff. Some, someone, someone hit me up about eBay because I think they were doing it. Like now, I look on IG and there's a bunch of people posting stuff with uh, eBay stuff. And like, someone hit me up about it, and I was like, "Yo, like, I didn't even listen to what the they were gonna ask me." I'm like, "Look, I don't even use it anymore. Man. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna endorse something that I don't even use anymore." I but couldn't tell you the last nice pair of shoes I bought on eBay. The last thing I bought nice on eBay was this. Oh, I bought good. Clyde Frazier's first autobiography because I've never read it, and I didn't even know it existed until a couple of weeks ago. So I was like, all right, I'll use it for that. What is nice about eBay, though, is that, like, I, for the most part, I can send messages to people, and they will communicate back and forth. Whereas, like, like say, a Grailed or some of that other stuff where it's used, like, that's a weird well, – Grailed, actually, now that I think about it, Grailed last year, like, as uh, – um, as 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 the Jordan documentary hit, like I just started going in and typing like 1997 Jordan brand, 1998 Jordan brand on various things and finding like uh, there's a scene in there as he's walking with the 13s on and he's got the shit. It's in the slam. Hold on a second. Uh, oh, one of those like jacket. sweatsuit thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I had jacket. that and got rid of it because that was when I had all XL stuff. Yeah, yep, that I had that. Right there. I definitely had so, that back then. <laughs> I wanted that so so badly, right? Wait, and I found one, one I, from a dude on Grailed for thirty bucks. Best thing that I bought all last year. Never I wore. Say, I was gonna say yeah, I still, oh. I still have that. Do you? I do. Oh man, it's incredibly constructed. Like I, I don't care how nerdy it sounds. And one for a size medium, it fits like a flipping XL. So I can't. Oh, I'm sure that stuff was big back then. <laughs> that stuff was big. Yeah. Yes, but it was, I don't know, it was just a fascinating time. But, like, you mentioned what Flight Club was, and Gabby, maybe you'll remember because we talk all the time, but I found, uh, like, I had always looked for this Pippin too. This was, like, what I missed and hadn't been retro properly. I can't remember the dude's name. He was out of New York, but, like, he basically had, like, just this unamount of stock of, like, an old sneaker store that his parents owned, and he took over. And he just started selling it. I mean, like, I can smell the mildew on this thing. I had to let this thing air out for, like, two weeks. 
And like I wanted Open up to, the computer. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my goal was to get them signed by Cooper, right? So that's that's what I wanted. Like I got Tinker on the 13, I've got Cooper here. And like I ended up getting these things for like 85 bucks, like just following the account and like talking to the guy. So in a way, there was that element of walking into a mom and pop shop, right? That like I didn't think would ever happen again. For me at least, I didn't think it would. But it is that probably none of us really want anything that's coming out right now. Like to a degree, like for me, unless I can play basketball in it, I I think I've had every retro I probably ever need. You know what I mean? Right. Like or if everybody unless else makes me like when I moved down to it makes me think differently. Yeah. Yeah. When I moved down to Austin, it's like, oh well, if I don't get a Jordans on Saturday morning. I'll see him a hundred times on sixth street. I was like, Oh, okay. Like this isn't my only touch point anymore. So I do think that in terms of like, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, like maybe we all got to be like sneaker Bjork or something like that and just get weirder with our interests or push the needle yeah. in terms of kind of what the tribe becomes. So that's, I, that's I, an I, interesting. I was about to say, I've always been like that with yeah. the that's an interesting thing and we've kind of circled around this a few times where like whether it's with the content the deeper writing the storytelling aspects right like i think we all have interests where we've gone way further than anybody would ever expect on the internet right you know also like to the to the point of like you want to hear from people that you see for literally years show interest in a particular product storyline the way it shaped the community, whatever that looks like, right? You know, Gotti and the chlorophylls is a perfect example, right? Like if you've been on the internet in the last 10, 15 years, like you don't need to know that story from anybody else. And if you're trying to have that story written or told, guess what? Everyone that that knows, Gotti knows. Gotti knows t-shirts. <laughs> I need a t-shirt on right now so I can get a super plug, right? But like, that's an interesting piece to it, right? And I think that, like when you said that about, you know, not wanting anything new or even a retro product, I, I think that Alex and I are probably on a, on a Brett to a certain extent too, but like Alex and I are still, I want to say like further down that like collector lane in, in the terms of like, it, it, I don't know if I like this about myself or if I absolutely hate it, but like I still just want a good air up. I still want some LWP, like the original colorways that never came out. Like there are just certain shoes to me that will always be like, just make it the right way so I can get it and actually wear it. Right. And on, a, on the other hand, there's also some shoes where I'm like, okay, I want to have the, the, these four that originally came out, or I want to have, you know, certain variations of it. So I can see the difference and talk about the differences when this comes up in conversation down the road. But like, I mean, I, I guess does that exist? Like, do you, does that still exist for you? Part of it. I was gonna say, I under, yeah. I mean, I understand that. My, I guess, where my opinion differs is, I don't think most retros are good. Like, honestly, like outside of the Adidas rivalry, which I think they did an amazing job on, and like is honestly probably the best retro I've seen. Period. Um a lot of the Nike and Jordan stuff, like I feel like is just careless. You know, I mean, I, I, like I thought- taking advantage of people. I thought the remastering thing, like, oh my God, this is going to be great. Like they're going to do stuff right. And it's still not right. Like I, when once, once we got locked down, 
and I just stopped going anywhere. And you, you know, I think everything. I kind of yeah. got into the point where I started to like refine what I'd accumulated. I spent like the last decade piling stuff up and started asking myself some questions like, why am I keeping this? You know, well, am I'm I keeping this to stuff. be a completist? You know, do I feel an obligation to keep it because someone sent it to me? And some of it was like, well, I'm saving it for a rainy day. And it's like, dog, I'm going to be 50 next month. Like rainy day is today. I don't need to keep this stuff any longer. So like, you know, something like um, the hair Air Jordan 7s. I kept those, the retro pair, because I had an original pair in 91. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, this means something. Like this brings something back. I still, I don't have the pair I had in 91, but I still have the empty box. I kept the box. Um, So one day during the spring, I'm like, all right, I'll wear these. And I put them on and I, I had to drive around and do something. I swear to God, I wore them for three hours. And I was just like, you know, they're just not it. Like the seven to me is the worst one anyway. Like the shape is completely yeah. wrong and all the eyelets are in the wrong. Like, I don't know if there's anything right about that shoe. Even the shape is wrong. Like it's too inner booty. Now. The inner booty is right about that shoe. I'll Maybe, take the inner booty. But regardless, I wore them for like two or three hours. I took them off. I put on something else. I put them back in the box. I drove them to a shopping center and left them outside a movie theater. I was just like, and I left them actually in the same shopping center where the sporting goods store was that I had bought the original sevens, which was like a good way to come full circle on it. But, you know, that was kind of one of the shoes that made me realize like, you know what? Like, I don't need to keep doing this. I don't need to get stuff that I had when I was a kid. That that shoe that you put on after you took out the seven is probably more important than the seven. Well, I, I have probably no more useful than the seven. Like well, that it might have been more useful. I don't even know what it was at that point. It might have been something else I wore for a day or two and then left somewhere else because I was leaving stuff all over the place for a while. <laughs> um, and I mean, I'm going to go back to that now that the snow's finally gone. But uh, you know, and it's like I've been saying I've been saying it for years, man. The Air Flight 89 High is still one of my favorite shoes ever. I had it in high school. I bought it with my own money. I never want to see it retro. I'll be so mad if that shoe retros because I have such a good memory of it. And if that thing comes back in sketchy leather, the shape is off, the padding's off, it gets made in like freaking, you know, pink, it'll just kind of Selfish. ruin it for me. Like, I just don't, like I don't the, want that. And maybe I that's think, selfish, but oh well. I think to me, like, I guess I'll hit a few things like, like Ian, you asked, it's a perfect question. Like from my side, I'm at a point that if it doesn't make me think different and like, I don't want to, like, I bought this easy 450 for too much fucking money, but like I bought it because I needed to see how it was made. Like I needed to understand, I needed to understand what they were doing and I'm not finding that in the same avenues that I once did. Like it's challenging me to think differently. I don't have to agree with the human being. I don't have to agree with the brand or any of that stuff, but it's challenging me to think differently. And there's not enough of that going on. And like going backwards, it's finding like the shoes that challenged me to think differently back then. There is still one shoe that I don't know if I want to be retro, but I also don't know how else to get it. But if I can ever get my hands on the original 13 white, red, pearl, gray sample, like with the toe up into the tongue, 
I'll fucking murder somebody for that shoe. Like I need that thing. Like, um, it, 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 this cannot it, be held against you in a court of law. I can write the uh, I'm not responsible for anything said on this show. Either. Like, uh, it, it has to be some Dexter style stuff. The person has to have been a bad human being. Let me just put that towards it. But my statement is like that, that shoe to me, they did retro it, Russ, in like 2014. And one of our, all of our, one of our media friends that we all have sent it to me. And I was like, the fuck? They didn't put the faux suede like on it and they like painted the midsole. And it was just like, well, I gave them away the day I got them because it upset me so much. And I didn't tell the person that. I didn't write about it or anything like that. But it was one of those deals where it's like, that's where things started shifting for me, where it's like, you're hearing our stories. So Nick, you pointed out the sneakers and us being featured on it. Like, yeah, that's cool. It's manipulative. And it's them catering to me of a market that they ignored for how many years? Remember when mm-hmm. you put the Nike Talk link in like kicks two or three at yep. the opening line? Like yep. they, they're now, it's now shifted to like, oh, this is easy money for us. It's like, and I can't, I don't know. I I can't let that feeling go in the way that I probably could have a few years ago. Where now it's, it's just it's not the same. It's kind of funny, and I feel like Alex would agree with me on this. Maybe, although I don't want to put words in his mouth, I would rather have personally an unwearable re- uh, unwearable original than a sketchily made retro. Yeah. Like to me, to me, a not very well made retro is no different than a fake. It's not made in the same factory as the original. It's not the same materials. You know, Nike doesn't even own the factories anyway. So it's a, it's an authorized fake at that point. I would much rather have the original that I can't wear anymore than like, you know, like, God, look at something like the Air Force Two. The Air Force Two is one of my favorite shoes of all time. I probably have six or seven different colorways of the original Air Force Two. Some are dead stock in the box. Some are, some have been worn. Some, one pair of lows that I bought from Shoeseum like a year or two ago, I actually wore to shoot hoops this spring and they cracked straight down the uh, heel counter, which sucks, but whatever, they died on the basketball court. Um, (laughs) But the retros are essentially an entirely different shoe. Like everything about them is different and everything about them to me as someone who loves the original is wrong. Now, if you're a kid, you don't know, maybe you don't care. But it also comes from, and I think you have to differentiate, when I talk to Brett a lot of times, and of course we talk every day, I always have to remember that Brett is looking at things from a vastly different angle than I am. You know, he's looking at it from a a design perspective. And when I'm talking to Alex and talking to you, like, and and Nick as well, y'all are looking at it from an original and a collective perspective. Sometimes I just want the shoe just to wear and like personally i've gotten to the point where and it's not where i just accept anything but sometimes just give me the shoe to wear and i'm happy i'm fine that's kind of how i felt about the rematching program where it's like it it captures i just needed something that i could beat the shit out of that made me feel like when i saw jordan dunk from the free throw line right Right. And and i'm very i'm still very selective on which pairs i'm willing to take that on with I think the trainer one is just obviously one of those models that I've fallen in love with, but I don't go out and buy every single color. 
if I find a color I like, when the SB version came out, I got like five or six pairs of those because I was satisfied with what they did there. Like, give me, just give me a few that I can wear because I still need stuff I can wear. The, the biggest problem I have with retro in that regard is I feel like people want it both ways. And I, I just see it with like something like the Carmine sixes, right? With that dye issue, whatever it was. And like, you have people on the one hand saying like, oh, this isn't right. Why isn't this better? Why isn't whatever? But if you still go buy it, they're never going to make it better. Like they're never going to make things better. If as long as they keep selling out, they're going to keep cutting corners. I only buy it on sale if I can help it, Russ. Like I try to buy it <laughs> when I disagree with it like that. I wait for it to go on sale is how I approach it. I feel, like that, was a, I feel no. like that was a personal attack on my purchase of the VacTech Air Up in 2014 that I paid $40 <laughs> for. Oh my God, the VacTech. I just was so excited that, that the Air Up was attainable and I could get it and even worked at Finish Line at the time. So I got a little discount on top of that. And it still wasn't worth the $26 and change that it ended up costing me because it was just made of like chunks of plastic. I think that was one of those things. I didn't even realize they did that to it until after it came out. Like, I feel like I saw photos. Yeah, like, oh, cool, the air up. And then you see it in stores and it's like, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, the air what have you done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's very important. Like you guys said, like if brands are putting out shit, lackluster product, whatever you want to call it, like, don't buy it. Like, that's your vote, and that's what's going to ultimately give them the change. But I do think there's a flip side of that where it's, like, remastered retros, for example. Like, when that happened, and the first round was weird because, like, it was retro plus colors and not OGs, and there's some certain things. But I had to kind of take a step back and be like, man, like, I'm the guy, like, all of us on this hill where it's like, yo, we need better shape. We need better leather. Like, you know, I mean, I was born in 88, so it's kind of like, I haven't had like fresh mozzarella from Italy, but like I've had some better than cheese sticks. So like, you know, I got, <laughs> but wow. it, it, at the same time too, it's like, I didn't buy a single pair of remastered retros. So it's like, if I'm the person asking for it and I don't, not that I'm telling anybody to spend more money on shoes or do anything like that. But like, if I'm not paying for it or I'm not watching, you know, if I don't buy, you know, if I don't go see the movie that is about the thing I wanted there to be a movie about, like, and that's kind of, you know, it's kind of on me. But what pisses me <laughs> off about that is that, like, as you, th there is other industries that are doing classic stuff better. Herman Miller, for example, like, they've made the Eames chair the same way since 1942. So you're going to tell me that you can't figure out how to make a Jordan 1 the same way. As we're sitting here talking, I'm comparing a 2008 flight posit that I've held for the first time compared to 1999. And I'm like, why do you make the radiuses different on the rubber? <laughs> Not from like a standpoint. I told you Brett that, looks at it from a totally different view yeah. than the rest of us. It's wasted energy. Like you just went and redid a tooling and you had more money that you put into somebody. To, like it's stupid. You're looking at other industries that can do it. They're choosing not to. That's that's like the, well, the scenario is like an Eames chair is six grand. You're going to tell me right now, looking at the resale market, you're at GOAT. Like, all right, Jordan 1's exploded because of the last dance. You're going to tell me Nike can't make the bread one 
every day and put it at $800 and people wouldn't buy it. Like if you do it properly, it just, it's, it's, it's a scenario where they've refused to see their market mature in the way that they probably could. And they keep just doing the hot, easy things. That's that's where I get frustrated. I think there's some weird things with Jordan in general. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Gentry or someone telling me like, oh, yeah, we're not putting Nike Air on the stuff because we want to keep the original special for yeah. collectors or whoever. And it's like, dog, all that stuff is unwearable now. All of it. Yeah. And beyond that, even if you made a – no one's going to mistake a 2021 Air Jordan 3 for a 1988 Air Jordan 3. No, if you put Nike here on the back, it's not going to devalue it because they're not making any more of the old ones. Yeah, the shape is complete, even the 94s. Um, but you know, the Air Jordan One is a crazy case for me because I've I've made this point on Twitter a million times and it doesn't matter. But like, if they would just release the black, red, black, royal, white, black, red, alternate, stagger it so each one comes out once every three years and just always have those available you're going to sell out every time no matter how many you make and people are going to wear the damn things i mean that's the crazy thing now is like i have a pair of 2015 or 16 or whatever year they are chicago's over here that i haven't worn yet because part of me is like well shit i could sell these for like two grand and i feel weird wearing a shoe that i could do that with because it seems irresponsible but if those came out and i knew i could another pair the next week or the next year, or even three years later, I'd wear those all the time. And, and I think more people would too. Like, yeah. They're actually like, I feel like the commodification of sneakers by speculators has caused brands to treat them like commodities too. And like, if you want to make all these Air Jordans and have them sit in the box and get sold and resold all the time, well, then I guess you succeeded. Like if all you care about is selling out at retail, but to me, like a bigger part of it and the whole reason the Air Jordan 1 became such a huge shoe is because everyone wore them. Yeah. They were everywhere in the mid 80s and the late 80s when they got cheap and just people wore them for everything. And now it's like turning it into a shoe that like you're only going to break out on special occasions to impress your sneakerhead friends. Like it kind of defeats the entire purpose. Hey, we were all impressed when you pulled that. out the 94 ones though, so... And those are I mean, is there a difference? I mean, that's the thing. Like, these are destroyed. Like, you know, like... My ones is like my little mom and pop shop in Angle, Indiana, Bob Sports Shop, had about 100 pairs for like 20 bucks when I was in like fourth grade because they didn't sell then either. But somebody on the, on the chain here mentioned what Nightwing had said, what, what Chris had said, that like this generation will probably remember more of what they flipped the price for than what they did with the actual product. And there's a big statement to that, man. Well, I think you know, what will be interesting on that is obviously a lot of people and people our age generation, whatever you want to call it, and they did the LeBron watch. We're like, what? The LeBron 10 one? Like, how the hell did that happen? When those yeah. come back, it'll be interesting to see who the 10-year-olds who are 20-year-olds now, you know, that, how they feel about it, the attention to detail they care about. Because I remember being a teenager on Nike Talk, just reading because – as you can probably tell by any social media output, I still don't know how to work technology, so I could never get a congratulations. Stuff <laughs> Russ was saying, you know, his climate and everything else, and how you know people saying, you know, man, there needs to be Nike on retros, like the colors got to be right. And as like an eighth grader, I'm like, 
oh, I, I finally got true blue threes. Like, they came out when I was born. So, like, I don't know this, but I'm happy to have them. Fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years later, they bring back the equipment elevation and they don't have the same, you know, hologram on them. Or they do the, the foam posit like they did the Air Force, you know, the, the Air Force Max, you know, like, I'm sure you guys were like, mad hectic, what the fuck? Like, you know, we don't need a teal and in, I got it. So I'm curious to see if this next generation, when LeBron retros roll out, flying it retros, Yeezy, whatever, if they have that same attention to detail, or I just think I don't think a lot of that LeBron stuff's going to retro at all. No, I don't think it has a chance. Like you're watching, like people don't even care about the Zoom generations. Yeah, I don't. I think they they, they're doing that as a test, right? I mean, and the generation to me is the most retroable LeBron shoe outside of the two, which I love. The two, yeah, the two I would give, and then it's got to be eight after that. But like, right? I, I don't think. I don't know, man. It's uh, you're watching even the Kobe stuff, right? Where they're they're dropping that, but it, it seems to be the new hyperdunk for the league, right? It seems to be the PJ Tuckers and all of them like just playing ball in it and and doing it. I, I don't know. It's I don't think we're gonna see retros in that way. And I mean, maybe I could be totally wrong. Your Yeezy thing, they were for Gotti. You had the Sports Illustrator. I'm sure Russ and then everybody else remembers it. You guys remember the the uh, the cover with Shaq and Ice Cube? where it said every athlete wants to be a rapper and every rapper wants to be an athlete. Like, I feel like that, I think that was like 95, 96. He had just went to LA, but regardless, I feel like that's where we're at right now, where you're watching polarizing figures are way more important than what the athlete once was, because we know what the athlete product is. We know what that LeBron is. You know what, all of us know what the next Kyrie is. No disrespect to Ben. You're a phenomenal designer, good friend. But, like, we know what's coming. We know where it's going to be. But, however, you're seeing those other polarizing people. Like, I'm waiting for the Drake shoe just to make fun of it because he has no style. But, like, it's going to have, like, a great great effect on the culture in the same way a Travis Scott fragment Jordan 1 and what Kanye's doing. You're watching roles reverse. It's It's interesting. I'm, so there's one other thing that I want to just throw out there because uh, uh, Robbie and Mike that I do the podcast with uh, and, and Rowett, we had an interesting conversation about the Grinches, right? And something that I didn't necessarily think of on my own until it was brought up was we're actually seeing the generation that grew up looking at the Grinches as this shoe an unobtainable shoe at that for a lot of people to now those guys being on the court and playing in the league. Right. So even if you had a guy who's in the league right now, we've, we've got this compounding retro effect of like, they want to, they want to play in that shoe that they saw at eight to 10 years old, which is a whole new phenomenon thrown into this whole mix. Right. And it's funny. What's more important. What's more important right now. Is it the court photo or is it them walking in? What's what's more important right now to the kid? Like talking, you know, Nick, you in, in, introduced me to Langston, right? And and Lang and I talk all the time. And like what I gather from him when he talks to like people, it's what they wear in that tunnel. Like people are literally, I mean, they're they're putting that together more than what's on court. I, think, I find that I, fascinating. I think that's more important to like maybe the would-be consumer. You know, where it's yeah. like, oh, this is something they're making like this choice on. 
But I think to the player, what you wear on the court's crazy. Because, like, you know. Yeah, I was about to say, I think they see, still care about what they care about what they wear on court. But, you know, people, like, will post that as a prompt on Twitter. Like, if you played an NBA game, what sneakers would you wear? And, like, that's something for anyone to be like, oh, shit. Like, I can be on – if I'm in the NBA, like, what would I wear? Like, that's huge. Yeah. I don't think your average person, like myself or any of us, are like, man, if I was in the NBA, what would I wear walking in the tunnel to the arena? I don't even think about that. You know, it's like, so I think for, for like what, what Nick said, like if I grew up as a kid, as a huge Kobe fan and I make the NBA, which is an impossibility in its own right. And then I get to wear a pair of like, what were his most memorable sneakers in a game in the NBA? Like that's insanity. Like that's, that's like, that's like super bucket list kind of thing. Unfortunately, the side effect of this, and I brought it up last night, like the Grinch is is ruined for me pretty much. I don't even care about that shoe anymore because now like literally every time I turn a game on, I'm like, who's this rando wearing this (laughs) green pair of shoes that doesn't go with their uniform at all? And like, again, I'm old. So I'm coming from an era where like guys wore pretty traditional stuff and then went crazy in the all-star game, you know, and now like I'm flipping on like, a Bucks Cavs game on a Tuesday and there's a dude like three guys wearing mismatched sneakers and it's just like okay like nothing matters anymore is like the Jordan Lemon in three colorways and he had three colorways and like now what I, I don't even know but I, I I think I might be under guessing here LeBron has 16 or so a year I mean like what that's nuts and they're, they're, yeah, Encore Shoes now yeah. launch in more colorways than Jordan got. Yeah. In a season. And we like, talk that's about why, sustainability. Like, that's why you bring up LeBron Watch, too, where it's like none of this stuff is significant anymore because he only wears it for like one game. You know, like an Air Jordan, like you identify it with that entire season. Yes. With the, with or the an entire playoff run. And now it's like I look at like a LeBron 15 and it's like, oh, yeah, he wore those in. Game six of the did he wear the soldier or the ambassador? When did he wear that one? Right, he has more lines than (laughs) so. Yeah, I mean it's hard, and that's what makes it tough to bring stuff like that back. Because like, what what's the the story is such the tiny little thing, which is why I thought the generation would matter, but I don't know. I don't know if people really wanted that. Go ahead. All right. Hey, I got I got to run, guys. But uh, I'm just gonna. I was just gonna say thing. Alex got to bounce, but I want to say thank you for hopping on. So one, Russ, if I if I was in a tunnel, I'd wear the Zoom Haven. Good man. <laughs> My Zoom Haven Good. fell apart. I threw up. So, so I tried buying a pair. You can find those things on eBay for about thirty to fifty bucks every once in a while, but they are they are fragile. They're yes. brittle. Yeah. <laughs> I threw mine out. I kept the oh. insoles. They're over there somewhere. I still love this shoe. Um, I got to bounce, but I will. I know I haven't chimed in much, but I'm just here smiling because this is what it's about to me. Like we're all just at the end of the day, we're all just sneaker nerds. And we we're here because we love sneakers. There's there's positive, there's negative, there's all the stuff that, but at the end of the day, you know, like I've known Russ for God, 20 years now, like we all love sneakers and just chat around. And, you know, I have a group chat with my LA friends about sneakers and Marvel movies and all this other stuff. And, you know, I think that's the great thing. Like we all come together because we love sneakers so much and uh, I got to bounce. We should do this again. 
Um, yes. Brett, text me, Ian, get my info from Nick, Gotti. Good to see you, bro. Uh, yeah, Russ, good to see you, man. Russ, I'll Thank text you for everything. Yes, 2 a.m. And uh, also, RIP Gary. Love Gary. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we should do this again. Right. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, nice. Thanks, man. Good to see you, my guy. All right. Have a good night. Real quick on the topic of Zoom generations, I think that's a great one. Um, how do you guys remember the first round of Penny Retros being received? Penny's a weird cult, not cult in the in the dramatic term. Penny's a weird scenario to me because it does have a cult-like following. Like, like there's elements of the people really grab. But I think when you watch the Penny Retros, I mean, unless it's like Baltimore, you know, you're not gra- – like foams are the one that you want out of it. And then you have like the ones and the twos. Stuff after that gets a little weird. I I don't know. It's it's, it's an funny. interesting product. Yeah, yeah I bought I remember buying a pair of Penny Two, like the Atlantic Blues from yep. Flight Club for under retail. It was a retro pair that I bought to wear at Maserick, the Nike court in the Lower East Side, because I wanted to play in them. Cause I wanted a I wanted a Zoom Max shoe. And I'd never played in pennies before. And I'm like, well whatever, I'm be playing indoors. Like, and I think I literally wore them once. They were a pair I sold uh, during yes. the great sell-off of 2020. <laughs> um, Is that sell-off still going to happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's still going. It's still going. Right. I, I, I well, got a 13. I got to keep digging deeper. Yeah, it's all like no, So him and I are similar sizes on certain ones. Like, I'll, I, I know it won't be cheap for me, and if you ever decide to do it, that htm lunar racer just please reach out to me that's all i want to say to that but yeah i mean i have like various stuff it's funny like talk about pennies like i still have over here somewhere in an air force light box i don't know if anyone remembers the air force light oh yes um but i have the original pair of phone posit ones i got from nike and uh again this was this was like a different time like this was back in 97 i think it was even maybe prior to bibby wearing them on court because they tried to describe them to me over the phone. And like, just imagine trying to describe a phone posit to someone over the phone before it came out. Like there's no, you're not going to have a clear picture of this at all. Like, I don't remember, but she described it to me and I had no idea what to expect until I opened the box. And it was like, holy shit, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know what these are. And I got them far enough in advance. Like I remember wearing them, like I was living in the Upper East Side at the time. And like, I wore them into like an athlete's foot up there, you know, and people in the store were like, what the hell? Like, what the hell what you got on your that? foot? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I kept those like basically for that reason. Like, I don't think I'd wear them now. Like, cause God knows, like, I feel like the, the carbon plates might crack or, oh, um, yeah. And they have like a, a sculpture now. They're like a size nine and a half sample. And like the 0.5 is written on the tag. Like it's just such an early version of it. Yeah. I, maybe some of the color stuff is different, but, and like, remember, God, like, that shoe weighed a hundred pounds. So the real like March, Mike Bibby didn't debut the phone positive one. Russ did. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even know. I don't even know. I'd have to look back. Like, that's it. I wish I had the box they shipped in. Cause then I'd at least have a date. Cause I don't remember any of that, but. Yeah. Um, so to your question, Ian, about, about penny retros, right? The interesting thing about the penny line for me and the reason why the other grail on my please retro this in a good form list is the original air lombastic, right? Because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford pennies even working, you know, a handful of the summer jobs. Like it was like, am I going to buy these 
Jordan nines? Am I going to buy, you know, like you had to make some serious choices back then because Oh God! Yeah, you weren't spending the kind of money that people spend now. Yeah. Yeah, you no. so, had like sixty bucks for a crappy shoe because you were going to buy that one. You know what right. I mean? So, like, so, yeah. so I I opted to get the Lombasse because it allowed it was like low enough price where like I could swing another shoe on sale. It, you know, if I played my cards right that summer, right? And right. so that was my only connection to Penny prior to retros. And when they came out. I was all, you know, arms wide open the same way that I was the first few times Jordans came out, right? It was like, well, shit, I'm getting to relive this this moment. I didn't really care other than the fact that, like, I could actually get a pair of those, you know, because I, I, until retros kind of pulled me back, I didn't chase after many original shoes other than questions, a handful of Jordan models, and that's really, really it for me. Because I, I, mean, I just you're I just couldn't afford NBA, to play right? it that way. Well, right. that, yeah, I mean, you're uh, born in NBA. so yep. like your great NBA experience is basically Jordan's second run, and then the other impactful part though is that's that's Penny's come up, right? So like you have, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm gonna look at Russ, but penny line that was the second signature shoe nike ever did right like that was uh you had griffey but then you would be penny like right after that yeah, right? he was so no barkley was first i think yeah, barkley all right my bad barkley and right. weber were around that time i mean that was that was kind of the weird thing too with like penny hardaway and i think penny's shoes i kind of go back and forth like i think the first two were pretty iconic and obviously the foam mm. posit and then like the three and four were kind of weird you know the one with the strap four and then the one with the foam posit wing on it like they just kind of got experimental but also like and i don't know i kind of go back and forth on this like to me like the part of the reason the jordan line is so important is because yes obviously it was really good you know tinker did insane stuff and like it was super forward of anything else but it also kind of existed in a vacuum. I mean, it wasn't competing against anything yeah. else. And once Penny happened in that general era of Nike signature, it's like you had Penny, you had Barkley, and then all of a sudden you're having Pippin and Peyton. And, you know, and then you even expand further into like Tim Hardaway and Alonzo <laughs> Mourning. You know, it's yeah. like all of a sudden signature became what like sort of player edition was. So everything fragmented so much. So while Ian, maybe, you know, maybe for you, the Penny line is super important for someone else. The Barkley line is super important. Absolutely. Like, you know, or for someone else, like for Nick Engvall, the question is super important, you know? So like people went off in different directions. Then you don't have that same, you know, people my age oh, who got oh, into sneakers in the eighties, Air Jordan was it. Like it was such the common premium sneaker language for everybody who is into basketball shoes but like do you think where did it go i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say here to an extent so follow my thought process where did it go awry is the easiest way of saying it but like something changed where maybe it's a business plan and they felt that they had to keep like hitting it and hitting it and hitting those numbers but like as you look at it now I swear to God, if we were to pull up the product line, and let's just call the product line the NBA, because I think you could throw the Adidas, the Under Armour, and all that stuff into it. Visually, would we be able to tell the difference? Like, because back in the day, there was a clear graphic difference. Part of it, yeah. you said the foam positive wing. To me, 
they could color block that so when on camera, you know, Phil Knight's famous for saying you opened up USA Today and you're going to find 14 swooshes on the cover. You had an opportunity to take a black and white print and make it very, very visually different from that Jordan 11 or the other part that was on there, the Pippin 2, all of those. Like, they're good graphic designs to carry that motif through. But now, I, I just get confused as to what it is. You talked about um, how they build it, how they manufacture it. Like, there's certain data points that they hit anymore. And it's like, when does data not matter? Well, Especially you know when what? you're a consumer. Yeah, yeah, go I, ahead. Th this is purely speculation on my part, but I think part of it is retro. And part yeah. of it is knowing in their back pocket, they have hundreds of millions of dollars in sales every year off stuff that no one wears on the court. How much money right. are they making off of LeBron compared to how much money they make off an Air Force One? Right. Or how much money they make off a of Dunk? Or God forbid, how much money they make off Monarchs? You know, and like, yeah. that's the... That's the thing that the old man who blocked me on Twitter a million years ago would talk about, you know, where it's like <laughs> the, 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 monarch, the monarch carries it all. Like this conversation we're having, the people who are listening to us, like, yo, like from a bottom line Nike perspective, none of us matter. We don't yeah, matter right. at all. A Supreme right. dunk drop might seem like a big deal to me because like I'm interested in it and I kind of want it. But like that is a drop in the bucket. Nike Plus, I don't know that I agree like... with that as much as I once did. Like, I, I do think 10 years ago, that statement to me is dead on accurate. We're like 50,000 people that are all fighting for the same thing. But man, when, when the numbers started coming out, predominantly because of that old man of him sharing some stuff of the 11s, mm -hmm. yo, the 11 is making the business case for the Jumpman every year. That's the right. backup yeah. of like, I no, mean, it, 2 million pairs. It absolutely pairs. is. It absolutely is. But you know what? And, you know, we're all getting old here. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm getting old. You guys are getting better. But <laughs> the Air Jordan, dude, the Air Jordan 1 now, I mean, the Air Jordan 11, I'm sorry. The Air, how old is it? It's 26 96. years old. Yeah. It's basically the same age now as the Air Force One was in 97. That's true. Literally the same age. That's true. So, I mean, we think of it as kind of a forward thing because we were alive and conscious when it was a performance shoe. But to kids now, that's the Air Force One. Like, that's all that is. That's retro. That's right. that's baked in. You can put out however many million 11s and they're going to sell through without spending anything on advertising without sending a single pair to influencers, although they're going to send pairs to people who can afford them anyway, and then let people who can afford them not be able to buy them, which is awesome. Um, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like the, mm, the people watching also know what's going on. They know people are smarter now. People know LeBron is a Nike dude. You don't need a gigantic swoosh on his shoe. Right. Yeah. I think Brett says this, you know, in our text messages, a lot of times that the focus is switched from the athlete to elsewhere at this point. Yeah, so it's like they don't have to put, you know, at when we were talking early on, Nike, you know, 80s, 90s, going up through there, like the, the focus was the athlete. Like that was what the products were geared towards. Now, like we all know that the athlete takes a backseat to, you know, everything else is out there. Oh, and where does that leave the NBA? I think well, that I just kind of it's kind of scary. It's like where does that leave us 10, 20 years from now? Right. That's the well, scary well, part. It's like, yo, what's leading 
Because, right, and, and Brett, you also said this before, it's like data is driving everything. So it's like I you're almost factoring out a certain good. human component. Like you're, you're looking at a logarithms and data, a logarithms and data, and using those to decide what your next product is going to be. But what also, the I was pissed me off this morning because he sent me a photo of those fucking Air Max 95s <laughs> with a pouch on it. And like, I immediately took it and to a very good friend that's a designer in NSW. And I just wrote him like, you guys no longer have product line managers. You have a fucking algorithm telling you to put bags on a shoe because it was cool in Virgil's show three years ago. Oh, yeah. Nike's like, design director's Instagram. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. It's it's sneakers. Let's or their product line manager. Yeah. Well, like, make... I, I don't know. I wanted to go back to the basketball thing for a second. And, like, you know, I could ask all you guys, like, do you, do you even remember the last Nike com- basketball commercial that made an impact? Kobe jumping over the Aston Martin. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that, I mean, probably it, was either, it was probably either that or, yeah, like, the LeBron's, right? Yeah, yeah. LeBron's. Like, it's probably something be... with LeBron. That used to be so important, you know, like yes, my, my strongest memory of like a new Air Jordan dropping was the new Air Jordan commercial. Yeah. You know, I, the watching the new, the new Spike Lee commercial during All-Star Weekend. Sorry, Ian. Frozen moment, like man. A newborn, so you probably don't like remember. The, the godfather sneaker commercial. That, that was huge. That was huge. I don't yeah. like, has there been a Kyrie commercial on TV ever? That has there been a Paul know. George commercial? Like, That's right, Mike. Yeah. Or um, or uh, or even Durant, like now yeah, that's also lines, because everything is shit anymore. Everything yeah. is shit. Like you don't get that print ad, you don't get the TV commercial, you get the YouTube drop, you get the the social media campaign around it. Like things are just shifted, so you right. don't see those. Right. I'm, I'm so more saying, surprised. Like, I'm more surprised when I see a commercial. Period. Just the fact that it shows up on the TV makes an impact for me because I'm like, holy shit, they just they cared enough about this. To do a a TV campaign around it, like right. that, right? It doesn't have to be good anymore. It's like, wow, just seeing it on the TV is like a strong. That's what I'm like they don't even do Air Jordan commercials anymore. You know, supposedly that's yeah. still the supposedly that's still their, you know, flagship shoe. So, but like, when I was it in isn't the treated like industry, Like the shit that pissed me off was like, and and you didn't see it at the time that I started. Right? Was was that like Foot Locker controlled the small brands? Like just to be transparent. Foot Locker, East Bay Inc., all of them. They would control it to the point where it's like, no, you're going to put your logo here and you're going to put your color here because I know it sells. And they would tell you, you're going to go back and do that. It didn't matter who you were unless you were Nike. But I can tell you right now, I'm looking at that product. You call it speculation, but I know I'm right. Just about every product was being pushed that way. Air Jordan 35, 34, basically everything after like, for sure after probably the 2012, like that didn't sell for those people, they started giving their input. You, I know for a fact the Foot Locker has told them to basically take the one and make it the 31, 32 coming in with like the two piece, right? And now you look at the 35 and it's like, well, we're going to have to at least put Nike Air and a Jumpman on it and an Air Jordan 5 tongue. It's like what's fascinating is that a lot of the complaints that we're probably having right now that we're talking about are the same probably frustrations that the product groups are having there as well. And I, it's become an uncontrollable thing. And it's how do you come back and shift that? It's going to take some, I mean, honestly, they should probably take the Jordan away for three or four years and kind of bring it back at this point. Oh, like no. the actual Air Jordan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's what's, that's what's funny too to me about the flagship Jordan stuff now. Cause it's like, I look at the 35 and 
I mean, I haven't, I actually haven't seen a new Air Jordan in person since the 33, um, which <laughs> ironically I tried to put on. I literally could not get the shoe on because of that 33, whole. The, the snap the, fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't yeah. get it loose enough to put on my foot. I left him outside of a red lobster. Um, Look at you. Did you but, get some biscuits though? No, nah, it, it was in the morning. I literally <laughs> tried to put them on in the morning and I was so mad. Like I didn't even keep them around for the day. But, uh, you know, I, I look at the 35 and they put the basically the five tongue on it and Man. tried to do the thing with the mesh or whatever. And to me, it's like 10 years from now. People aren't going to want a 35 retro. They're going to want a five retro. If I want something with a reflective yeah. tongue with a jump man on it, I want the five. I don't want the 35. But that's my point is like if you're not proud of it now and, and you're talking about a brand that. As we all grew up with it, when they shifted from basically the 13 to become the true Jordan brand, right? Ferraris, Bentleys, like they're this elevated piece. They're, they're telling you that this is who we are. Those are iconic brands. Those are pieces that live forever. You need to put the same element into that. And, and, and that's where it's falling apart. And I think that's like, it used to be like a cost thing. Like, you know, I made the joke, like when you were doing the 17, well, it was like, like when you were trying to see the 17, well, Russ, it was locked in a briefcase. They can't let you into that. Right. Right. right but right. it's tongue in cheek in the sense that like, at that point they wanted to charge $200. So they had to figure out a way to do it. So they gave you a plastic briefcase, right? Now it's like, you could probably charge 400 or 450 and be a true quote unquote concept car, or pick whatever else, a Zaha Hadid architecture or whatever, but what's stopping them from doing it? Like, why aren't they doing it? I mean, look, I'm, I, this might be... Uh, Yo, you don't think they tried it with the LeBron line? They did. Like, they were, they were creeping. Absolutely, yeah. Or, or, I have the namesake. They should have killed the Air Jordan as a flagship shoe after the 23. 23 yeah, should have been good. That should have been... Was... They did the considered thing. They did it. They launched it at Chicago Stadium. They did the whole big story around it. That's Tinker's That would have been a perfect that... ending. Yeah, and then because I think a lot of their problems as a brand since then have stemmed from having that flagship shoe. Because now they have this weird thing where it's like, if you sign a superstar, you kind of have to give them a signature shoe because that's the expectation. But if and then you bring in price, but if the numbered, but if the numbered Air Jordan is supposedly the flagship shoe, then why aren't your best players wearing it? And now I guess they're kind of in a spot where it's like. They've signed so many players that, you know, having guys like Tatum and Doncic wearing the 35 does make it on that flagship level. But at the same time, you're looking at those guys. They're getting ready to do a Zion instead of keeping Zion in the 35 and keeping that 35. And I mean, at some point, I think people are going to expect Luca to get a flagship shoe, uh, get a signature shoe too. So what, who is the flagship shoe for anymore? It's I mean, like uh, it's it's Ferrari La Ferrari, right? Like, but, uh, for a car reference, you know. And even wearing the thirty three to like a gym, which I agree, it's very difficult to get on. I switched to some Air Unlimited retros and felt like I was playing barefoot afterwards because I was so high up before. <laughs> but people are like, "Yo, like, what are those?" And like in a not meme esque way. So like, I do think it has some cachet. But like you said, they're fighting too much like chasing denim super futuristic performance it's, it's a balance that and you're probably right Brett that like Foot Locker has some plan I did realize with the signature shoe commercials Kyrie had the commercial with like the flat earther joke and Tatum 
Mm. Um, yeah, I do remember that. Like, you know, uh, the crowd. Is it a commercial or is it a YouTube video? And <laughs> does that matter? No, actually on TV. And then LeBron oh, really? was riding a bike. I can't tell you what the shoes were in any of those commercials. So, <laughs> yeah, it's more about the persona, right? Well, well, well so I'm gonna, I'm gonna like step back into a little bit of what Gotti was talking about, and as we were talking about the on-court stuff versus the tunnel walks, you know, like Alex, you know, being at, at Goat is interesting too because Goat. Somebody pointed out in the last few few weeks to me that Goat sponsors one of the tunnels. I think it's maybe the Nets or something like that. Like. I didn't realize this is this is me being the old man, right? Like I didn't realize that like I'm everyone was out there trying to sponsor the tunnel looks and yeah. all of the teams then yeah. brand that, sell that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they so, use it as their media content. The craziest yeah. part about all of this, right, is that we are talking about guys playing on court and guys wearing shoes off the court. So we now have twice the exposure if not 10 times, right? But just let's, to be to be fair, twice the exposure, right? Twice as much visibility into what these guys wear, both on the court and off the court. Yet, for some reason, the actual shoes that are on court, and I would even argue that the shoes that are worn in the tunnel are almost, have have almost zero impact in terms of like what the brands do with that, right? It's almost like, Everything that's done is actually beneficial to kind of like the the goat and the eBay's of the world, where you have all of these like just massive options to to choose from. I think it's funny too because like you know I look at like to me the tunnel compared to the court depends on the player. Like right. to me, I'll look at LeBron more in the tunnel because I know on the court he's just going to wear his signature product, so yep. like he's not really making that decision. But I mean, he is to a degree, obviously. But, you know, I look at, say, like, uh, I don't even know, I'm just gonna pick a name out of the air. But, you know, someone like a Kyle Kuzma, like someone on a on a lower level, then I'm paying more attention to what they wear on the court. Because it's like, oh, you know, they don't have a signature shoe. So like what they choose actually makes a difference. But then on a different level, and maybe I'm just being psychotic about this. Scratch, maybe I'm definitely being psychotic about this. You have someone like Kevin Durant who does have a signature shoe. So like what he wears when he's out hurt or when he's coming in, you know, oh, well, that's something he's choosing. But I know that Kevin Durant wears a size 18. Size and if Kevin 18. Durant's wearing a pair of Supremes, yeah. it's not like he went and bought those from Flight Club. Yeah. Someone yeah. made those for him. But like you mentioned none of that LeBron, stuff is available. Right? So LeBron, like I was actually thinking of some of the other stuff. LeBron has made quite a few brands, right? Cactus Plant Flea Market, Chinatown Market. He's John Elliott, uh, Standard Issue Tees, uh, Midwest Kids right now. There's a lot of stuff that it's strategic on his part. It's probably strategic on Nike's partners, parts of who they're going to touch in with and what they allow. But that's where you're seeing some of the fascinating like dots being connected. And I think the other side, we haven't talked about it at all, but like the flip of Adidas to take somebody like Jerry Lorenzo and put them in charge of all the basketball line, you know, because everybody for many years has been trying to out Nike, Nike at basketball and you're just not going to do it. So it, or I'm not going to say you're not going to do it, but you're not going to do it if you're trying to mimic them, replicate them. But it's very, very fascinating to see them just say, fuck it. 
like take a fashion dude because everybody wants basketball to be a fashion product anyway it barely hits the court and it's going to be interesting to see where they take that stuff and see where it that, goes because go ahead no 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 i was just gonna say that's funny from what nick was saying earlier about uh you know brands selling something as being the best whatever whatever and then the following year coming out with the next shoe that has nothing to do with it so it's like what? wait a minute that was the best traction pattern ever and now it's nothing like it now so it's obsolete <laughs> what are you yeah. talking about and that's how i look at some of these brand partnerships where it's like and not to call out jerry specifically but you mentioned him you know it's like he does stuff with nike and all the mar the messaging around that is like oh man it was like always my dream to do stuff with nike and i've always wanted to do this and then he goes to Adidas and it's like, oh, I've always wanted to, you know, and wearing superstars and whatever else. And it's like, okay, but I so. basically none of that, advocate on that. Just to play devil's advocate on that. I think that like, let's, let's use our experience, you know, let's just go with writing to simplify this. If, if you're given the opportunity to, to, you know, do your thing for a slam magazine or, or complex or, you know, pick your poison or whatever. But then you run into the situation where you talked about where we had to take down a post. I mean, we did that multiple times at Complex. I've done that probably back in the days with Ian at Nice Kicks. I think everybody here has been a part of taking down something we did to appease somebody on the other side. But if then now Sports Illustrated comes to you or you know whatever that other, other brand that's out there comes and says, look, we're going to give you the keys and we're not going to put the restrictions on you. It's hard. It's that's where I look at it and think like it's almost like they're they're everybody's looking at the Kanye relationship with Nike as like, don't fuck this up. Right. And I think Nike even has to deal with that with Jerry in a sense that like you give him. Nah. Do you give him enough freedom to do what he wants to do under the swoosh brand? Like if you don't, then inevitably. Yeah, of course. Like there are very few people that are only interested in one brand oh, sneakers oh, I, and big enough to where they could go over me. there and say nike just went and bought everybody in kanye's orbit no nah. gave them no and, and and like look i'm not even gonna have to travel to adidas yeah. i guess my thing is just the way you the way it's positioned the way you sell each move right, kind right, of in the right. same way that a shoe is marketed in marketing that brand where it's like no this is what i've always wanted the thing is if you say something about this is what I've always wanted, that's the kind of thing you can only say once. You can only say that about one thing. Because if you start saying it about more than one thing, it's like, wait a minute, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. You know, it, it's like, Russ, you're too goddamn smart for these conversations. Yeah, I know. This is why like, I don't get anything. You're too smart for you're too smart for the idea of selling products and things. Well, it's for my own good. It's for my own good. But, but also, it's you're like, absolutely I, I, right. But you're too smart for it. But it, well, it's not even. It's just being around so long, and like once you see behind the curtain and see that the Wizard of Oz is the old man, like yes. pulling levers, you can't unsee that. You know, right. so it's like you start like, to look at everything in that way. The magic disappears. I just look at at, at at the Nike side of things. And you mentioned, you know, they don't want the Kanye thing happening. I think it's the opposite. Take Kanye out of it and, and let's just boil it down to what the real frustration was. They didn't want to give him his own creative view, even though he knows he's making a huge thing for him. Right. They're going to have it with Travis soon. Like, all right, cool. You took his Jordan one and now you're making a fragment version. All right. We can see from everything else that that man touches, he has his own vision and his own view on what's going to happen. And did the same shit to Jerry. It's like, we'll use you for long enough to get the rub that we want out of it. But at the end of the day, we're not going to give you your own line because we don't see the value in that. 
I think Nike is a marketing company at this point, right? That's really what They've they are. They've always been a marketing company. I mean, yeah, yeah but now they're officially one. Yeah, well, that's true. Absolutely. And if guy, that's the big secret to shoe dog. If you ever read it, just so you know, we, Russ just gave the whole thing away. Yeah, I'm um, not. But in any Russ to read it to be quite. I got honest. it over here. I could just open it. You know, you could tell me what <laughs> pages. But you're gonna watch like Adidas is playing that shit so smart. I don't know if it's like gonna amount to it, but like allowing the Pharrells, allowing and allowing some of these other people to have their view to go and make it, and they're like, hey, we've got the factories, go and do your thing it's going to have a big impact. And what I find fascinating is like, as you watch young consumers right now, their connection to where something comes from, the ethics behind it and all of those pieces that's coming together much more than what we dealt with and whether right or wrong or how you view it, it's going to affect how people create stuff and people have transparency with those people, right? Like there's something that they can connect to. That's our next big wave of, how it's going to change everything. I think relationships also are like, you know, Nike's always been the dominant brand. And it's like, yeah. they could get Kanye to come do stuff for them because Kanye was a huge fan. You he know, like Air anyway. Jordans. Like the yeah. idea of him getting a shoe with the company that did Air Jordan and like being able to use classic Air Jordan elements in his own shoe. Like you can't say no to that. Yeah. And then at some point, you know, Kanye obviously got bigger than he was when he first signed on there and adidas being the underdog i think they have more they have more reason to be like we need you like yeah, you want nike lose. but we need you so we'll yeah. give you carte blanche like do whatever you want we'll take so, the gamble on you you know we'll let you do all these wild things that maybe nike wouldn't let you do because we don't have that big seller in our back pocket you, you know, know and they didn't time. even, you got to think, they didn't even really flinch when he was going through his little stages here in the past year or two. Nope. Like Adidas nope. was like, yeah. we're going to ride this shit out. We don't give a fuck. Like, we know what we've got right here. So yeah. they were riding well, so, with him on it. I mean, so hey, it's they, interesting because they that's, with that's Derek Rose of, too. <laughs> yep. That's oh. so like tomorrow oh, I'm going to have, uh, have Wex on. And one of the things to, to Brett's point that I've been fascinated about in the last let's say three, three to five years is the younger generation and the individual creators that are, you know, going after whatever that is, whether that's sustainability or, you know, whatever they, whatever the interest that they have, right. They go at it with a passion that is like, I kind of just always revert back to like, I always want to be around the 22 year old, right. Because they're the ones that ultimately haven't, haven't hit Resident all responsibility kids, and haven't haven't you know they've, they've still got enough fire to just like take all the risks and i think there's an interesting shift in this that, that is happening and and will continue to happen where you can actually make a difference in a footwear brand in a way that was never actually accessible up until the last few years right as an individual creator you can go out and create enough energy whether that's, you know, Travis being like a superstar version of that, but like, take your pick of all the people. Like I recently talked to, or Robbie recently talked to Liz Beecroft on the, uh, on the secret history podcast. She's just a passionate person about mental health and is passionate about sneakers. She got a collaboration. She got to do her own shoe with, you know, like that, that's unheard of 10 years ago. And I think that that's a really exciting sense and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what Wex has to say in regards to that, because I think 
my assumption is that's why he went to Shopify was like, oh, look, right. I can make a bigger splash, a bigger impact on the future of all of these creators by being at the epicenter of everyone kind of creating their own thing. Is it just you and Wex or is there a panel? Uh, it's a panel. Uh, it'll be Jacques Slade and uh, Tamara Dia and a couple of people that are still pending that I can't mention just in case they're not able to make it. Is it Kanye? So do me a favor. Do me a favor. Straight up ask Wex, what Adidas provided Kanye that Kanye couldn't provide himself? So from, and the reason I ask that is like, all right, full transparency, I'm helping an NBA player and launch a, a shoe brand, starting it from ground zero. Your only hard part about starting your, and I've done this with three other groups of people that are all successful, making a living, doing their thing. And the only hard part about doing it is getting into a factory. So what always frustrated me during the time of like Kanye going through his phase of screaming about stuff was that like, what is keeping you, you have money. Like, and even if you were broke, you had access to money more than anybody else that I've been able to work with that have launched a shoe. So what was keeping them from doing it? So and I would also venture to say like, even beyond that, is that if you ask people why they bought a Yeezy, 99% of them were buying them because they were Kanye. Maybe 1% exactly. was buying them because they were Adidas. The brand definitely didn't matter. Although some, I was going to say, is there some, because I think you make a great point, Brett, in terms of kind of like dispelling the infra infrastructure narrative, like the 13 Bugattis, you know, thing. Like, yeah. But at the same time, too, Russ, I think you're right. Like, Kanye proved with Adidas and not to shit on Adidas. I like Adidas, but like it could have probably been any brand. Right. It maybe the Adidas stuff, his, Kanye's Adidas stuff. And this is like, sort. this is good, but it also sort of shows, I think Brett's point. Like it's not like it had any like Branding. Adidas design language involved. No, it didn't even, the, the boost wasn't even exposed except on the bottoms. Right. Like no, there was nothing to any of his shoes that was like, oh, that's an Adidas. But I still feel that little bit of a need for a big brand cosign because I feel like the crepe boots or the even the sandals that were just strictly Yeezy branded, like with no Adidas DNA mm. or logo on the box, oddly enough, didn't do as well. Like I think there's probably like, I would argue I think all like, he needed Adidas for was manufacturing, like you said, if it's tough getting into factories and distribution yeah. channels. Yeah, it was like distribution like, was easy, but now Shopify, right? I think it's different now. Yeah. I think it's different now than it was when he first went to Adidas. So, like, so here's the other an side interesting that, thing though. to think about too, Brett. You mentioned you know working with somebody to to start their own line, right? Yeah. I, I talked to Tiffany Beers earlier today. She's doing yeah. the same thing with a handful of people, and yeah. I think that it's it's really fascinating to sit here and like think of Kanye as like someone who's looking at Adidas as like, I need this big partner. When the creative people that are out there are seizing the opportunity to just do it, right? Like, well, and I'm not, not to Nike-ify Nike it. But I think but. we've also progressed to a point where other people realize, hey, we can do it. And Brett, you know, we, we talked about it. Like even John Elliott popped up with the little white sneaker yeah. here recently. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, why do I need to wait on a Nike collab? Or why do I need to wait on whoever? Right. Like we've got our own brand we know how to do the shoe thing now. Well, We've got like our resources. I find the, own shoe. He's got well, his own I distribution find. channel. Like right. John Elliott, I'm sure sells more stuff 
on his own than he does in like different boutiques. But like, I'm sure a kith would stock his sneaker if they stock his sweats. Well, and I think the other side that like, like where Jerry will offer a lot of stuff is like, to me, shape is the number one thing that drives like a good selling shoe. And my God, that man can make a shape. Like, I think they're going to have some beautiful product. But the other side of that I was going to add to, you, you mentioned the 22-year-old, Nick. I point a lot. I'm pointing at your guys' squares. I'm sorry. Uh, we're not but, there. You're pointing, but we're not there. Like, yeah, yeah. Nobody is uh, up there on my screen. <laughs> but, like, but Nick, like you said the 22-year-old. So I graduated from college for creative studies in 2007. And when we, as a graduating class, it's a very small class, like I couldn't imagine anybody having the conversation of starting their own brand. In 2015, 16, or 14, 15, and 16, 17, I, I, I taught an elective class there. Damn near every one of those kids wanted their own brand. They didn't want a single thing. And they made a lot of them, and I will state this flat out, a lot of them are working for Nike and Adidas right now. They went the brand route, but they still keep their side shit going. And that was a fascinating take. I think part of that came from the recession, probably from parent conversations and stuff like that owning your own path. I also think it was Kanye effect. I think it was also, we tied music into a lot of this stuff, watching somebody like be able to go make your own beat very simply and go do your own thing. There's just a different effect that you're seeing that's going to take over the generations that are coming. And I also think that I'm watching this idea of this huge conglomerate amount of money like I think of Jay, like I think of Jay-Z, right? Like Gotti, you and I talk about this type of shit with hip hop and everything. Like He's a billionaire, right? A lot of those guys wanted to get their seat at the table that didn't think it was there. But now what you're seeing is like, people are like, eh, I'm, I'm kind of cool if I make like 100,000, 200,000. Like I don't need to make as much as I once thought I needed to. There's a shift that's happening where it doesn't have to be this big business to feel fulfillment. It's the connection. It's like tying back to the consumer, tying back to the community. That's something we haven't seen. Because we watched Nike kind of be that, right? For all of us growing up, you mentioned they had to compete at one point, And now they're not. They're the fucking machine. Like, they're, they're uncontrollable. They can't even control themselves. Well, they're, I mean, they're the evil empire at this point. Now that Alice is gone, we can talk that shit. Man. No, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, talking back up. with you, Alex. That, like, we all fell in love with Nike. And granted, like, we all still in some way or fashion love Nike. Nike emailed me now. Hey, write some for me. For sure. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to lie to y'all. But like how we had that that connection that meant something, even though like Russ says, you know, kind of, you know, the odds behind the curtain or whatever. And now it's flipped where you have these kids that are creating stuff that want a connection. And we're all mad that everybody buying stuff on sneakers only cares about money, like how it's kind of inverted itself almost. So I think there's a there's an interesting piece, and in, in one of the things that I meant to ask you guys, I mean, thank, first thankful thankful for you guys for sitting with me for a couple hours here, but like one of the I things that like I need a <laughs> has been conversation in my circles as of late is getting into the nuanced storytelling of community, right? Because one of the things that, and, and rest in peace to Gary, man, I think one of the things that Gary did that absolutely should be the shining star of how do we do this in terms of writing, storytelling, all of those ch chasing the deep, like interconnected stories that are layered underneath all of these sneakers is the, the, the brands. I think that like 
because we've all come into this funnel to, to, you know, Ian's point about like the sneakers app, right? We've all come to this same place, but at the same time, the, the person that, that sees a, a, a CDG foam posit is not buying that shoe the same way that someone that's buying, you know, let's say, a, a I don't know, take your pick, a, an off-white dunk or something, right? Either, you know, there is like a, a high fashion element of it that's a piece, but like there's nuances to all of these things if we take away the resell aspect of what and the frustration aspect of it. And I'm wondering like how we're going to get to that because to, to your point about all those kids that, you know, doing their side hustle, having their own brand, I'm sure that's because they're wanting to tell their own stories and create their own things, right? But on the yeah. flip side, you're also trying to balance this weird, how do I still be a part of this, right? To Ian's point, like, if you get the opportunity to write for a Nike or an Adidas as, as guys like us who have done this for a really long time, it's always going to be a viable option. You're always going to take the call, whether, whether it works out or not, it's a different story, but like it's always on the table in our minds. I think. Well, here's, here, here's something for me. And I, I think this sort of relates to what you're saying. And if it doesn't just like <laughs> shut me up, um, you know, I think like if you go back and even if you go back 20 years, I don't know about 10, maybe even to a degree, 10 years, I think a lot of what used to be or now is and. And like, I think if you wanted to start a brand, if you want to start a sneaker brand in the early 2000s, it was going to be really hard because it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Am I going to go out and buy? And that's why it's amazing that it did as well as it did. You know, it's like, am I going to go out and buy this and one Tai Chi? I don't even know, like, what this, uh, I don't know, they have a videotape, whatever. Or am I going to buy the new Jordan? But now you start something, it's like, well, okay, I'm already definitely going to buy whatever it is the hot thing is, but I'm also going to buy this whatever new thing is just to try it out. Because, like, it's no longer just like, well, I can have this or I can have this. Like, well, I can have everything, which, of course, is how everything gets pushed now. But I mean, the only example I wanted to say, and I've been, I was racking my brain for it. So I want to bring it up because I actually sort of remembered it, but it's that brand. It was an ETQ yeah. that did that, like that Portugal based brand that did like yeah. the one style. It was like that sort of three quarter cut, like yep. retro inspired kind of thing. Like that came out of nowhere. And a lot yeah. of people ended up buying those. They ended up doing, I think a couple collaborations with some retailers and like, People weren't buying those instead of Jordans. They were buying them and Jordans with and Jordans. Vans and whatever yeah. else. So it's like now you don't have to come up with something to replace whatever the hot thing is. You just have to come up with something adjacent to it that people are going to want along with it. Well, I don't think it's like I, I don't think brand loyalty is what it once was. Like there well, was definitely too. like when we were kids, like it was definitely like, yo, you would. Would we, how many of you on this would have actually ever worn a Nike product with like an Adidas sock, right? You just wouldn't have done that like back then. Exactly. Now it's like, oh, exactly. Maybe in no, the zone no. socks because of Bobby Hurley, but you know, that might be too old to wrap <laughs> In the zone, wow. Taking <laughs> us way back to Sacramento history. It's, it's just- Bobby Hurley was gonna be know, good man. too, man. I'm Man, that car accident made me angry. Russ, like you, you were kind of hitting on like, how how some of that kind of builds up and where it goes. The other thing, Gotti brought it up, like the athlete, right? Like talking with, with the player that I'm working with, like, all right, there's like 430 players in the league. You have like 16 of them that have their own shoe. And then 
you have like 20 of them that are provided like true PEs, right? So that takes you down to about 400 players that quite frankly, the greed of the company, uh, or not greed, I shouldn't say greed, the system of the company would be the best way of saying it, has basically just labeled them as like, you're gonna wear this team shoe and we're gonna give you maybe $20,000 for the year. If somehow you have a breakout season and make it in the all-star game, we're gonna give you an extra $30,000. And this is all it's going to be for you. We might make you a last, so you have a special fit. But overall, like you're taking a marginalized. You you mentioned like the, the the group of people that made it to the NBA, right? Like you're one of the greats. You made it this far in life, and you've marginalized them even further. And it's like all of those guys have access and have a voice to be able to go and have their own idea. And that's where it's become fascinating for me because you're seeing that click with a lot of the players. And then don't forget at the same time, like the average player or the average age in the NBA now is like 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. Like it's super young. Those guys need to have something when they're done. Well, right? and also, but also like Chinese brands open that up too, right? That's where the Chinese brands come in at. If they're smart, that's yeah. where they come in at. I mean, I'm sure I wasn't alone in thinking when Dwayne Wade signed with Jordan, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to be with Jordan forever. Like, uh, that's like the it makes perfect sense he's from chicago and what like two years later he goes to lean in because he got equity in the brand right. and like what, he's on like shoe 10 now or 11 yeah, or and, and he like, can sell these shoes to like literally billions of chinese kids like there, there's yeah. a much bigger market there but like you know and then you look at someone like like I remember, I think when David Lee was on the Knicks, I remember talking to him about Nike because he was wearing Nikes. And I think he had literally like a product only deal. And it was some absurd amount, you know, I mean, he yeah. could afford to give his entire family Nikes. But like, there was so little competition that like, well, we're going to offer you this product deal, even yeah. though you're a pretty good player. So take it or leave it if you want to wear our shit. N meanwhile, you get someone like, and then like Evan Turner signs with Lee Ning and gets a signature model. You know, right. Evan Turner, like, what was his choice before that? Probably would have been something like that, like a Nike product deal. Yeah. You know, and now, like, dunk, right? you have, like, Shane Battier on his, like, eighth shoe still, you know, or... Do you think that, as we talk about it, like, the way we talk about this, right, it sounds like the the grounds are leveling out a little bit. But then on the same side, it's like, doesn't matter, right? Because it's like that other product... Like, as we talked about it, like, dumb. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I still think maybe sometimes you'll get a guy who go with Nike because he always dreamed of it. Yeah. You know, like, obviously, a PJ Tucker, who, like, probably knows more about shoes than all of us combined. Like, I, I, I'll i make fun of PJ a little bit for some of his stuff because I think it's like, you know, he needs, like, 19 lockers and whatever <laughs> else. But... I mean, that dude definitely knows his shit. And I think like he probably, since he was two years old, wanted to be a Nike athlete, yeah. you know, but I think he's the exception rather than the rule. Like, I think now, again, like you said, like if I'm 22 years old and if the average NBA career is still only like three or four years or whatever, I want to get as much as I can out of that. And if yeah. that means signing a deal with a Lee Ning or an Anta, and that means on the one hand, I got my own signature shoe. On the other hand, I'm never going to see it on the wall of a footlocker or on some kid's feet. But if that can give me like, you know, some degree of further generational wealth. I was about to say, yeah, you that. think about like uh, when Puma signed that rookie class, what, a year ago, two years oh, ago? Yeah, Aiton and, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Aiton and all those guys, Knox, like they signed four guys. And I'm like, if they just signed the ball kid, 
And you're looking at it like they're probably going to pull a Vince Carter thing where they're taking that money now, probably wear Puma for three, four, five years, and then switch to whatever else. But in that three, four, five years, yeah, they've got the the paycheck that goes with it. But then you you may have one that sticks around. And shit, the way ball is playing right now, LaMelo ball is playing right yeah. now. Like, dude, <laughs> Puma will be. Came out this year? Say it again. Big baller brand debut this year? That'd be a whole different story. It could, it could yeah. be different. It could be different. Too, but, like, LaMelo is a star of stars. He's a fucking like, star. Yeah. yeah. But I'm saying, same thing. Like, I'll take the money now and I'll wear Air Jordans when I'm 37 after I retire. You know, like. Yeah, they make plenty of those dad shoes for you now. So you can absolutely do that. Guys, I'm getting ready to check out of here. I need need dinner and I need a cigarette. I definitely enjoy being a part of this conversation, though. I enjoyed it. So so many stories. Let me say one thing before I go. Russ, and I didn't realize this until a couple of months ago, but you and Scoop Jackson. And the voice that you guys created with Slam probably helped lay the blueprint for a lot of the music and sports writing that that, that really grew on the internet. Y'all really created that, in my I mean, opinion. I didn't I, think about it until I started reading some of your old stuff, some of that old work. And I started, and I started thinking, like, holy shit. This is the voice that we were using when we first started out blogging. Like everybody was using this completely conversational tone, but we were able to talk about it with the depth of knowledge. And I was like, those motherfuckers started this shit. I give all the cooler section always reminded me of the bottom section of like the first five pages of Slam, where it was just like the like that was like like those little one hits. And like there would be like really good nuggets, and then there would be like just random shit. Like, why would they do that? You know what I mean? Like, I totally, I totally align with what you're saying. I, like, I always it, say my my Twitter is just an extension of noise because yeah. I used to write that for slam and like, <laughs> yes. all right, one sentence things I can handle. But I mean, for me, for me, it was scooping like Bones Malone. Like Bones Malone uh, needs more credit yeah, too. Like, yeah. I mean, and he was writing like the the stuff you couldn't replicate at all. You know, like it was all like phonetically spelled out. It was basically like, I don't know, man, like Bones wrote stuff that was, it, yeah, it was it was uncopyable. It was Cam Newton's like, you know, <laughs> Cam Newton's Instagram, <laughs> except without all the, without all the little punctuation, just with some of it. Um, and Bobito too. Yeah. You know, and and I think like the, the beauty of that, looking back to, to your point, Gotti, the beauty of that looking back is that it, and I told Russ this a few months back, it felt like someone who was in high school in Colorado, it felt like I was a part of what he was a part of. It Fuck felt yeah. like I was a part of everything they were doing because it wasn't, it wasn't uppity at all. There was, it was real. It was, it, it was like, you know, I, it was, I, it, it was conversation it about was it. It was cool. like, I'm it here with cool. you guys having this. Yeah. Without being Yo, there, like, we were there, you know? I'm from this small town in Indiana of, like, 7,000 people. And every time I got my new, like, issue of Slam, I walked into my school the next day feeling like I was from fucking Brooklyn. And it was, like, the way you guys wrote and, like, everything. I was like, yes! Like, let's go there. I'm like, we're going to go listen to Mob Deep. We're going to go do this. Like, it was, it was 
everything. And there, like, there are definitely issues you can look at and you could just flip through and you'll know exactly what we were listening to when we put that issue together. Because yes. it showed up in like half the headlines and half the stories and it's just like, oh my God. Like you could, <laughs> I, I could probably go back through issues and tell you the exact issue like we put together listening like Stankonia. Dude, Russ, like you guys I, did I, all I, those I, little I, characters. You did that one of like uh, Snoop and uh, Calvin Brodus, and he's like spinning the ball on that. I'll bet I drew that thing a thousand times. Like I would just go back and redraw everything <laughs> from that stuff. But to make this full circle, Russ, you realize you being on this and us talking about retro product and everything, you're the only person on here that has retro stuff coming out and slams fucking redoing their nostalgia piece. That's crazy. That, that's a whole. <laughs> That that's no. the whole like crazy thing. Hey, but I Russ, I, like, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to show I, you. I don't like, want to. I don't want to force uh, extra work on you or, or suggest something that might take a lot of your time. But I guarantee you, there's more than the five of us that would absolutely listen to you and the guys go back through the old issues and talk about what you were listening to at well, that like, time. Like this is crazy. I found this the other day in an old notebook. I don't want to show too much of it, but. It's literally the call sheet for the Slam 32 cover, for the Iverson blowout cover. And that's the one they're reselling right now, right? Yeah, and I wasn't even at that shoot. Like, I don't know why I ended up getting the the sheet for it. You know, they've actually had that conversation. They did uh, the boardroom podcast with uh, Eddie and KD. Like, I listened to that, and and it really made me start thinking, like, yo, these dudes really helped create part of the voice that, you know that 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 push that pushed a lot of people who were blogging. So no, I mean, I, just, I wanted to make sure I gave you that credit for that because I, I, I appreciate like, that. Wow. I appreciate that. I mean, I was honored to get asked to do that. Like, I, the, the whole reason I did that was to be on with Scoop, and like, because I haven't talked to Scoop in a while. So, you know, to get to to touch base with him and you know go through some of that stuff. But then, like, I think what what was even better was hearing. KD talk about what slam meant to him when he was, yeah, a kid. you know, when he was really, first coming really up important. and people, like, anybody, who hasn't thing. Listened, anybody who hasn't listened to it, go listen to it. Because when you hear KD talk about how important it was, and I think I got it, I get the same sense from the 96 issue, like all of those guys saying how important it was to be recognized by slam, not by this group, not by that group. They wanted to be recognized by slam. That says a lot for the work that you guys were doing. Well, I mean, you know, and like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but like 96 was really like such a pivotal year for Slam as a publication. And I think for us who were putting it together, because like that was when dudes who we covered when they were in high school ended up being like, you know, that incoming class that you knew were going to be stars. So it's like, it was people who like they knew us as well as we knew them. And that just represented this big change. Cause before that, like 94, 95, it's like, I mean, we never put Barkley on a cover. And I think part of that was because like to Charles Barkley, who the hell were we? Who was slam? You know, yeah. we were some publication that didn't even exist until after he already won MVP. So it's like we didn't mean anything to him. I mean, we probably still don't. He probably doesn't even know Slam exists. But you meant everything to what, KD. You, you know. meant everything to Iverson. Like, you meant right. everything. Right, or Kobe, or like, Kobe, you know, yeah. Marbury. I yeah. mean, Marbury was like, if if Marbury. Slam was a person, it was Devon Marbury. Marbury. You know, he was the guy who came up from the beginning. So, you know, once we got into that range and like, oh, putting Steph and KG on the cover, it's like, that meant something to them, too. 
it wasn't like us going after Jordan to be like, oh, can you do this? Because to Michael Jordan, it's like, who the hell are you guys? Yeah, but when you got him, you got some of the best interviews that man did. Like, well, I, you know, we came at it. It, it was obviously a different, a different perspective, a little bit, and like, you know, Jordan is the whole reason I got into basketball to begin with. So, you know, getting to talk to him like was just. How do you get it. that hundred percent Mike issue? Like, how do you make that happen? Did I mean, a lot of him. Sell him, sell Nike. I mean, I, that because I think that was like a single sponsor thing, and like, you know, that's when Jordan Brand was still Infancy. a very new thing. Um, you know, and I think at that point they did realize like this is reaching a different group of people. And someone reminded me of this today, and like I didn't even think about it this way, like until it hit me but like so slam starts in 94 94 is the same year jordan goes to play baseball or 93 when sports illustrated does that cover and he's like fuck y'all i'm never talking to you guys again yep so i'm thinking a lot of other basketball players coming up read that and knew about that and like wait a minute mike hates si now but here's this brand new magazine that just does basketball that like issue it would not surprise there. me if that helped us a little bit. That issue of Starks hanging on the rim had been like issue three or four. Mm-hmm. And like you, you guys did a top 10 list why he should retire from baseball. And the last one, I remember I was in fourth grade. I was riding my mom in the car and I read it out loud because <laughs> like I was still doing it. I remember the last one says, besides baseball is for dicks. And my mom, my mom just fucking glared at me. Like, what are you doing, Brad? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sell him. I'm pretty sure that was Tony, but I mean, I wasn't even there yet, but I'm pretty sure that was probably him. Um, I don't know. That's yo, a whole I'm, reading, yo, I'm reading Ray Allen's autobiography, and he mentions the point that you were saying. What did you say about him? Like he was probably the least likely to be remembered. Oh, so it was fa- most likely to fade into obscurity. I had yeah. a whole conversation with Ray about this this spring. You know, it's like and it's in the magazine, and I, and it had, it popped off fresh to me because I'm reading the autobiography now, and he mentions that, and he says this certain writer thought that I was going to be, and I was like, fucking rust. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yo, if I go back to all my rookie, my rookie most likely twos were so wrong. Like almost all of them were just so wrong. But I remember him telling me at one point after that, you know, that helped inspire him like to work as hard as he did. And it's like, because I was an idiot, you know, like, (laughs) and like, I'm not taking credit for it. Like Ray Allen is one of the best shooters to ever live and would have been a hall of famer regardless. But it is crazy to have been in that position. And I think I even told him, you know, when we talked about it, it's like for me, because back then, like, you know, he's a 22-year-old kid coming into the league. Meanwhile, I'm a 25-year-old writing about the NBA. So it's like, to me, like, these guys were still so, like, above where we were coming from. And, like, I don't think I ever considered, like, oh, yeah, he's going to see this and be, like, kind of bummed out about it. You yeah. know, or in this case, because he's Ray Allen, be, like, super inspired by it. You know, to me, it's like it's just you're cracking something off to like the people reading it. You don't think of these guys as like, oh yeah, this guy's actually might. And be I mean, hurt when you this. think about it, that was like how blogs were. Like, yeah, we, yeah. you yeah. weren't thinking about like Nike's going to read this or Drake is going to read this. 
you were thinking or you were saying what you were actually thinking. And yeah, maybe you were trying to do it to get a few laughs off or you were just kind of stream of consciousness or whatever, but you were actually thinking it. And you never thought that your words could reach that far. But lo and behold, it's like, yeah, your words can reach that far. Yeah. And I think like, you know, there were features here and there or whatever, like, I'm sure like guys were like, yo, what are you doing? You know, I'm sure there were people back then who got upset. I mean, I think like a majority of it, though, were people were psyched on it, you know, and psyched on covers or whatever. Like I've told it before, like I remember going into the visitors locker room at MSG when the Sixers were playing Iverson's rookie year. And I gave him a copy of the Who's Afraid of Allen Iverson cover, which I had nothing to do with. You know, I was an editor, but like I didn't write the story. I didn't take the picture. I didn't lay it out. I didn't come up with the line. And I gave him that issue. And he like gives me a big hug. And like at that moment, it's like, yo, like this is crazy. And over the years, I've realized and like in countless interactions with AI, like that's who he is. Like every time I see him now, like he'll give me a hug. Like, and it's like, that's just how he expresses himself. But back then in 96, when he was a rookie, it was like, whoa, like you 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 did realize that point. Like, wow, we have an impact. Do you ever feel like you were able to be in the moment or was that just stuff that happened? You know what I mean? Like, did you really, you, I mean, I think I already know the answer, but you didn't realize the importance of what you were doing because you were doing it right. You were just in it. There was some of that. I think like, it's a little of both, you know, I think looking back on it gives you an entirely different perspective, but at the same time, like being a fan first and then finding yourself in that position, there were certainly moments like, Dude, when we did the Jordan issue and we went to interview Jordan at his restaurant in Chicago, you know, it was just me and Tony. And I remember getting there and like, I'm like yeah. a nervous wreck. And Is that the black cover with just the face? Yeah, the one you held up before, just the Jordan thing. Oh, and I, I was thinking. Yo, you have to always remember to be a fan. That's why I think it about just, it. Even when we're talking about other shoe stuff, it's like. Always remember to be a fan first, like even with music, whatever it is that you're into, and maybe it's your paycheck, your career, like you still have to find a way to remember why you care about it, why like, you love it, why you feel so strongly about it. But I was saying with that one was like, you know, fortunately, the interview got pushed back like 45 minutes. So we actually like had lunch or whatever, like sitting at the counter and before we went in and like that gave me the time I needed to like kind of chill. And, uh, you know, I was still nervous. Like, I'm still mad. When I read the interview, I get mad because there's the question where he asks us what was different between his dunk from the free throw line and Doc's. And neither of us came up with the answer. And he had to be like, well, I dribbled. And it's like, well, I'm an idiot. I know that. (laughs) But like, I'm sitting in a room with Michael Jordan and his, you know, his driver and a couple other people. And I'm a wreck already. So it's like, yeah, I know all this stuff. But like, Michael Jordan asked me a question like my brain just fell out and it's like well I'm not going to get that one but you know to kind of circle back it's like yeah like you there were stuff that I definitely appreciated like in the moment because things were so different then you know it was pre-internet so it's like you know we had to fight I have a I have a giant supreme bag in my parents attic full of credentials because the Knicks wouldn't credential us for the season for like three years. And I went to every game. I went to every home game. So every home game, I had to fax them in to be like, I want to go for this, this. 
and I would get a credential until they finally gave us season passes. But, you know, since they were so strict, it was basically, you know, TV media, newspaper guys, and us. And the newspaper guys were mostly like 50-year-old white guys. As a 50-year-old white guy now, I can say that. Um, You know, so like they were more of the, tell me what happened in the third quarter. And we were more of the like, yo, like, what's it, you know, what are you listening to this week? Or like, we're just going to talk to you and chill and not even turn our recorders on because we're not maybe working on something right then and there. And it was in the days before, like, every little word had to be content. So were you at the the Jordan game where he pulled out the ones in 98? Last game. That is a sore subject. I was in a hotel in Portland, Oregon, because we were out there for something with Nike. Oh, man. And it was me and Tony. And I remember turning on the game that night in the hotel room. And I remember if I threw the remote, but I was really mad when I saw him wearing those because I absolutely would have been at that game. I was at. That's one of my favorite Jordan games of all time. To watch him put up 42 to yep. where he got in the lane like Gotti. So Gotti is, as we've mentioned numerous times, you're talking again. I bought this fucking statue for way too much money a few weeks ago <laughs> simply because of that game. Like. Hey, this, this statue is important. Straighten your face and stop laughing. That is a very important statue. Go it ahead, Fred. But it was like, man, like, I, just that moment of history and watching what he did there and, like, I don't know, those years, it, it was just something special. And, like, hearing you talk about it and, like, God, you kicked this whole Russ thank you moment off. But, like, I wrote you uh, as, like, because you, you featured my blog on, like, you did like sneaker blogs that you should know on, on, uh, on complex. And like, God, you talked about like the passion stuff. I just did this shit because it made me feel good. I didn't even know I could get paid. Like, I didn't know that this was a real thing. I did it because I felt like I had to come out and I felt like the stuff that I read in kicks inspired me so much. Your interview with Aaron Cooper that you did, you only did one of them. And I thought it was going to be a series, but design school and like, I was like, oh man, I definitely have to get a subscription for this, but it was only one of them, but it was still like incredible. But my point to you is like, I, I sent you an email after you, you featured me on the blog and then, or not, or you featured my blog on Complex. But man, like you have been like a key element to my life that I, I can promise you, Brett Goliff as like a designer doesn't exist without the stuff that you did. And then even... Like my first media trip ever was was the Jordan 2012. And I, you asked a question there and then Tinker referenced the question back to me. And like, I have never, like I had met Tinker for, like we had been emailing, but I had met him for the first time then. And then that kicked off a conversation with you and I, and I will never ever forget any of that in my life. And then to have Nick, pull me into complex and be able to pick your head and ask you about like random obscure Air Jordan nine sketches that you got your hands on and stuff like that. Like you don't know how much that made his day, Russ. Yo. <laughs> like I know, like I know, like knowing Brent, that probably made this fucking day to get some of these questions <laughs> But it's funny, yeah. like yeah, I wasn't at that game with the ones, but I have two credentials hanging on the wall behind me. And like 
one is the first finals game I ever went to, which was the game that the Bulls held the Jazz to 54 points. Yes. Which was the only finals game I went to during the Jordan era, um, which was quite the game to go to. Yes. And the other one is the 98 All-Star game at the Garden. Oh, Jesus. The which Garden. was the second All-Star game I ever went to. First was so in that's Cleveland. him and Kobe. Him and Kobe. Him and Kobe in our, in, you know, home city. And like the first All-Star game I went to, and again, this ties back to like, you know, being in the moment, like you kind of couldn't help it. It's like, I'm 26 years old. The first All-Star game I ever get to cover is 97 in Cleveland when they did the NBA 50. 50. So it's like, I go from Triple having, Jordan. Glenn I go Rice from having <laughs> never been to an All-Star game before in my life to going to an All-Star game where literally the greatest players in NBA history are there. You know, I'm at like a party at the <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the buffet line behind Moses Malone, you know, and like Dr. J's over there. And it's just like, and, and you had Kobe win the dunk contest. You have oh, Kobe and nice. Iverson in the rookie game. You know, you have Jordan throw up a triple-double. And it's just like every aspect of that. It's like, how do you, you know, how do you ever top that for starters? Yeah. You know, and like, I feel like there was a period there. Like, and that's the thing. It's like, I remember one of those games. I forget whether it was Atlanta or DC or 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 Philly. It was in that stretch of 01 to 03. And like, you know, the media would kind of gather around players and everyone would get their stuff and then move on to the next guy. And I remember going into the West locker room and there was hardly anybody in there because everyone's dealing with the East. And I like start talking to Kobe. And we're just bullshitting about stuff. And like, no one's there. So I just grabbed the chair next to him. And we're just sitting there while he's getting ready, whatever. And we're talking about stuff. And that's when they played the Nets right out of All-Star break. And actually, Marbury dropped 50 in that game. That was like the, I think it was the only game Steph ever scored 50 as a net. And it went to overtime. And I think the Lakers won. But I'm talking to him about that game because that's like coming up and blah, 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 and whatever, whatever. And I remember looking up at one point because we're just going. And the media had sort of come over to Kobe. And I'm just sitting there in this chair and I'm like, you got to do this. Okay, I'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> and that was the, it was always it was stuff like that, that like, even at the time stood out because it's like, we're just talking about stuff. This isn't even like the real like, okay, we're going to sit down and hash out this whatever because now nah, we'll do that later. We'll figure out interview time. Right. Yeah. You know, those times in the locker room were like, yo, we're actually like talking about stuff, like about real whatever it was. You know, and I remember there there was a stretch of that where like I didn't see him for like over a year. Cause whatever happened. I think he would he would always manage to get suspended for Knicks games somehow. I think it happened like two years in a row and he didn't play in the garden. Sorry, and like so I didn't <laughs> I didn't see him at all for like a year and I go to 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 Indiana I think I was, maybe I was doing Jermaine I, I forget what story it was and I got there mad early to the arena and Kobe's out there on the court and I'm walking into the tunnel behind a basket it might have been the opposite basket and he sees me and yells my name out 
I haven't seen oh, him shit. in a year. And it's like that sort of stuff was just always like mind blowing. It's like, wait a minute, he knows who I am. And that's like that always comes back to me when I see stuff like I think it was like Obi Toppin talking this all-star weekend, and he his mind got blown because LeBron knew his name. And I'm like, yo, I feel I know exactly how that feels. And part of me is like, yo, dude, like you're in the NBA. You were like a top 10 pick. Of course he knows who you are. Yeah, he's studying you. But I still know, like, I, I but at the same time, I can totally relate to that because it's like, wait a minute, Kobe Bryant knows who I am. Yeah. You know, even though at that point I'd interviewed him like God knows how many times or whatever. Ray Allen, and going back to that book, because it's fresh from my mind, Ray Allen tells about the first time that they played Jordan. And Jordan knew him, called him by his first name when they went to tip off. He was like, good luck, Ray. Welcome to the NBA, Ray, or something like that. So you can fuck with him. (laughs) I mean, we know what it was on Mike's end, but from Ray's side, it was like, oh, shit, he knew my name. I'm, I'm here. Russ, you know what you said? Where do you go from here? You keep living and you keep working. You know, you keep searching for that next story. If you're if you're me, it's like I'm gonna keep searching for that next story, for that next idea, that next thing. Because it's it's there. You know what I mean? Like there's Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, like it was even better for people like us because like Kobe would know who I was, but then he wouldn't go drop like 38 on me. Right. So at least, you know, I could just go back to the media room and get like a coke or whatever and just chill and watch him destroy somebody else. I'm not as good with years as you and Brett are. But I know we did that one, I think it was during like the World Basketball Festival where Nike had us in D.C.? No, not in D.C., the New York part of it. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. All I know was Jordan came into some park. Yep. And you're talking about having to sit down and talk to Mike. Like I was trying to take pictures of Mike and my hands were just shaking. And I'm I'm yards away from him, but I'm like, holy shit, there goes Black Jesus right there, man. Like, like I got be still and probably got about two good pictures out of like 30 I tried to shoot because I was just so fucking amazed by being around Michael, goddamn Jordan. And I'm like, yo, how did my life take me to where I'm standing this close to Michael Jordan? Yeah. But it's fascinating. Yeah. Like, my first real experience with shit like that was when we were at World Basketball Festival DC before they go to London. And like Russ, I don't think you were there, but Gotti, that was the first time you and I met. And like we were at uh at KD's like the park that KD came up on. And yeah. like, oh my god, watch it. And for me, like I was kind of like that was pre-KD KD. Like KD was getting big, but he's not like KD KD now. And watching that happen and watching you, like I because I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I Every time that hey, I got thrown, I was a pro. I went up to John. Yes, Thompson. exactly. I was like, Yo, I'm not you were John Thompson. I was like, I'm and not I'm like, oh, do what God does. I'm like, a Syracuse guy. My dad is a John Thompson, Georgetown guy. I was like, there's. I've been watching this man since I was a little bitty kid. There's no way I'm not gonna let this moment pass me by, where I don't go up and talk to him and tell him what he meant to my dad mm. and me. So I was like, yo, I'm going, I'm talking to fucking John Thompson. And I'm glad I did. I still got the picture. You know, when he passed a couple of months ago, I, actually, I think I reposted the picture on Instagram. Cause, but you definitely have those wild moments. And I, I got thousands of them, just like everybody else. Like, it's great that you are a fan. And I always think about the idea that for me and my situation, it's always been shoes and music. They've always been my number one loves. Like, they've always battled. 
And as soon as one of them falls out, like the other one picks up, but shoes and music have opened so many doors for me throughout my life. Like I never let any sneakers raffle or whatever the fuck ever discourage me. Like right now, I don't need to buy anything. Instead of dealing with all of the hassle that it is right now, and also when you're dealing with quarantine, we're going through the pandemic, you suddenly start to realize, number one, I don't wear half of these shoes or three quarters of these shoes. And also even bigger than that, it's like, yo, these things don't mean a fucking thing. Like a few of them like really mean something to me, like, but the rest of them, they don't mean as much. So like right now when everything is so hard to buy and it's like, you're getting frustrated. I tell people like, yo, just look in your closet. Yep. Like quit, quit looking for the next thing to buy. Just look in your closet, find the stuff you appreciate and grab it. And Russ, like what you're doing, like, I've seen where you wrote something for, I think, GQ, where you talked about how you were slimming down your collection. Once you go through some of this stuff and you start to realize, like, yo, the only pairs that I really wear are, like, these six, to be quite honest with you. Then there may be four or five more that have those true memories for you. Then the rest of them is like, yo, you're buying excess. Like, mm-hmm. I've had it. I've enjoyed the memory. I loved it. It's time to let it go. And let me mm-hmm. let me just move on to the next thing. No, it's been, I mean, during this, like, I've been going shopping in my storage unit. I'm just like, I already right. got all this stuff. Like, it's time to, like, thin it out. And, like, like I said, if I'm going to wear it, wear it now. Wear it now because you're and not, let it go. none of it's guaranteed. Like, you may not get to wear it next week or 10 years from now, like you're thinking. Like, wear it now and enjoy it because none of us promise. But and it's all, yeah. Yeah. Guys, I, yeah. I, so we've been going for three hours, and I'm going to hop in and, and, and wrap this real quick because – one of the things I think like to, to a conversation Gotti and I had a couple months back, right? I, I hope that all the people that have tuned in for this, that have stuck through this, realize that like all these conversations have literally nothing to do with the shoes. And especially in a time when, you know, the pandemic is ravaging people's lives. I appreciate you guys and a lot of the people that are listening and watching and that have, have, have supported all of us collectively for the past decades um because they care about us i care about you guys more to send you a text message and say yo are you all good as opposed to to have the conversation about shoes and i think this has been incredible um alex already texted and said we got to get a, a text chain started with with all of us uh, <laughs> that's my lasting note yeah i i think like you know this has been incredible because uh, uh, to russ's point and, and, you know, to Gotti's point about like dealing with this is something I want to continue to talk about. Right. Because I am I'm processing that, too. Right. It's just about as you grow as a, as a person. And, you know, uh, Russ, I told Russ a couple of months ago, too. I have the same bag. Of, it's not a Supreme bag, but I got a same bag of press badges <laughs> and and access things that it's just like those are the memories to me. It's not it's not all the biggest right. physical things. Right. I got, them, I got them on the shelf over there. I got a whole stack of them as well. And, 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 you know, just to, just to reiterate too, thank you guys for taking the time. Obviously I didn't expect it to go this long, but I do think that as much as like we all appreciate our own memories and, and can share this stuff as friends, there are a lot of people out there that, that feel super connected to us because of the stuff we've done. And I just want to shout them out too, because honestly, that's what keeps it going for me and keeps me motivated. And, and honestly, it's guys that, that, you know, guys like you that reach out when 
when shit is tough and say, yo, you guys are pulling me through this the same way that I'm trying to figure out how to pull myself through it, you know? So um, it's been honestly like one of the best conversations of my life. I never expected it to go this long. I, honestly, I feel like I feel like I need a smoke break just like Gotti. It's been, I, mean, I haven't smoked in I'm going to make years, a drink but... after this. I'm not going to lie to you. There's no way I'm going to sleep. Yo, shout yeah. out to the, I gotta lose the... Yo, to the comments section. I swear I've been wanting to reply to you, but every time I, I don't have an account, so I was trying to log in. The one time I tried to get over there and log in and reply, I actually got booted out of the chat. So I was like, fuck that shit. I talk to him. But I appreciate all of y'all. Like, I've been reading along and sitting there smiling and pointing back and forth at Brett, like, yo, and texting him, like, read that comment. I appreciate everybody for hanging in there with us. It was, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, this was a blast, guys. And 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 honestly, hopefully at some point we can do it again. And you know, pipe dream for me would be able to do this in person and 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 really catch up, you know, once it's safe to do so and once what everybody feels comfortable with it, right? So um yeah. we'll do it next year north by northwest. No, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm, <laughs> I'm down. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But again, thank you guys. Thanks everybody for tuning in and watching. Um, I'm kind of on this marathon schedule, so I've only got about eight hours before I get back on here and do it again tomorrow. Ooh. So um, good luck. But good it's going to be you. fun. We're going to have a bunch of great conversations. And good word. And good word. Oh, man. <laughs> the That's a whole one? conversation. The compound one? <laughs> good word. Oh, my God. I haven't heard I, that in a long time. I think this was like one of 25. I should be able to sell it for like five grand. <laughs> Close to. Yeah. Or like five dollars. Probably. Probably. No, I'm, ke I'm keeping that one forever. All right, guys. Honestly, love you guys. Appreciate you guys so much. Have a wonderful evening. Can't wait to talk to you guys. Good to see you guys. Peace. Love you guys. Appreciate it. Hey, y'all. Nick Ingvall here. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a portion of your week hanging with us. And if there are any ways that we can improve the podcast for you, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneakerhistory and join us for as little as five bucks a month. That also gets you access to our Discord group, which is a lot of fun. Also, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. We just started uploading our videos there now, so you can watch the video version of the pod and a lot more. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. It's a small gesture that can go a really long way to making somebody's day a little bit better. Thanks again, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.